The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and I am joined today, as I am pretty much every fortnight, by my co-host, Dan. How's it going, Dan? What have you been up to these past few days? I've been, uh, I took a, a catapult from where we were both in Minnesota visiting family out to see a friend in Portland, Oregon, uh, the past few days. So, I mean, this is the first proof that I have for three days that you're still alive, so it's good to see you. Yeah, I mean, same for you. I was worried for the past three days. Like, I haven't heard Tom talk. How do I know if he's still alive? Um, you know, there's some uncles of ours that would definitely say, well, he's in Portland, so he's probably been killed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. And that was my assumption until you got on this morning. But, you know, you're alive and well. Uh, so we all have good. uncles like that. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we do. But no, it was actually very relaxing. I I did a video from my friend's house in Portland, as many people will have noticed, uh, going over the 6600 XT pricing and kind of just another state of the market video. We'll we'll get to that later in the episode. The cute new couch set isn't permanent. The cute the cute new couch set isn't permanent, nor is that cat. I did not have my dog with me, of course, but I did have this new cat my friend got named Juno that was just following me around the whole weekend. Just kind of sitting next to me. Pretty, you know, I got to say, cats can be jerks, but this one was pretty well behaved. Anytime it was stupid, I would just say no and it would stop. I was very impressed for a cat. Sounds like a pretty cool cat, I suppose. It is a kitten. No. We've had some puppies that did some pretty dumb stuff. Eat our some phones. that did a lot of <laughs> dumb stuff, especially, especially Baxter. Yeah. I mean, we had a dog, just so everyone knows who... Maybe we'll save that for a die shrink, but would like actively try to mug you when you got home from school. Yeah. In very impressive ways. Like I'm saying, very smart dog. Like it was, I saw one of the muggings happen in front of me. (laughs) Usually it was just downstairs that you were doing homework and I just hear some type of fight going on downstairs between you and the dog. But one time I saw it in person and I was just like, good God, this, this dog is way too smart. (laughs) Yep, and he was way too smart for his entire life. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is not a dog and cat podcast. This is actually, at least supposedly, a uh, gaming hardware podcast. So, um, well, actually, before I get into the corrections and omissions, I will announce um, at the top of this episode that I, as of now, I should be at the Carolina Games Summit. I am uh, being sponsored to come out to that uh, PC gaming event, and that's from August 6th. Through eighth, that's all I can confirm now. I'm sure I will tweet more, and there will be more announced um, from the Carolina Games Summit, you know, people uh, over the next few days. But I just wanted to throw that in here now for those who are in the area around Raleigh um, that I will be there, you know, and that there does seem to be a lot of cool things that will be going on there. Um, so I don't know. If you want to go? Apparently, I'm there, and you know, 
<laughs> and, you know, maybe you can see proof that I'm not just a clone of Dan or something, which was a conspiracy theory for a while on this channel um, because their voices are so similar. But after some of that housekeeping, let us get into corrections and omissions. So I guess the two first ones are kind of combined. There's a few people that wrote in about this. Um, Thiazide and Blokes both wrote in. I'll start with Thiazide here. He says, In Broken Silicon 110, Dan claimed that proton compatibility is spotty according to user feedback he read. I'd like to note that balancing proton against a known quantity of hardware should produce more stable results than you'll see looking at the proton Proton compatibility page, now that Valve has a stable, unchanging base to test against the Steam Deck, accelerating compatibility for games should make that much easier. And Blokes also writes in talking about how there are multiple you know, con hardware configurations and that having one standard configuration should at least make, uh, as he calls it, the Gabe Boy work very well uh, with standard emulation. So number one, what I would say is yes. That's true, and that's a very valid point that I think we omitted for sure. This is corrections and omissions. But I would also say that, Dan, didn't Valve announce that the Steam Deck is just the base model and that they're going to allow other companies to make their own Steam Deck competitors and that they actually see Steam Deck as a platform? So if yeah. that's true, then no. What you guys just said is not correct. This is just one of their devices. That's assuming, though, that uh, other companies take them up on the offer, which I'm sure there will be two or three, but I don't think there's going to be, I don't think there's going to be like 20 of them unless this is a runaway success that no one foresaw. Yeah, I guess I would agree, though. I would say a counterpoint to my counterpoint is that I actually don't expect a lot of people to make Steam Deck <laughs> competitors um, that run... Uh, Linux instead of Windows is the base operating system that I actually kind of doubt there's going to be a lot of those unless the Steam Deck sells, you know, over like 10 million or something. Yeah, then then I could see a few entering the market. Yeah. Moving on with more Steam Deck corrections, Abstract Realism writes in and says, when discussing the Steam Deck, Tom and Dan referred to quarter two 2022 as when it will be releasing. As far as I'm aware, that actually is when it will become available without a pre-order. Currently, my reservation says I'll be able to get it in quarter one 2022. The first batch of people to be able to sign up should get theirs in December 2021. I say able to because the website crashed as soon as pre-orders went live. Between 90 minutes to get mine to go through. God. So that leaves only around five months until it comes out rather than the nine that you guys described. Uh, and if I remember correctly, Dan, you corrected me, and I was actually right then. I said yeah. it was coming out at the end of the year. So it sounds to me like it's going to be, they're going to be doing rolling pre-order sending then, if he's getting his in quarter one, 2022. Yeah. All right. I will say on Steam's website in big letters, it says expected availability quarter two, 2022. But you know what? You know what, then? I'm going to say you're mostly right, Dan. Like, because... Let's break this down, guys. They're saying some people will get it in December, the very last month of the year. I don't know. This thing isn't everything having to do with availability and pre-ordering and release dates these days is completely screwed up. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I we don't know how many I, I guess will be released in December of 2021. But you're right, I guess. Uh I don't know how to say that name, but um, uh, you're right that I guess some people will be getting it in December of 2021. Um, but I don't know, man. I see in big letters, qu quarter two, 2022 everywhere. You're saying you're going to be getting yours in quarter one, 2022. 
Sounds like most people that are getting them will be getting them quarter one or quarter two, 2022. I believe I said one model of it was going to be of it. The, That's right. I don't believe all models are coming out at the same time. So Or availability for all models won't be there at the same time. Yeah, and I guess then I would also say that you have to assume that Valve isn't getting as much priority to produce these chips as, and, and they're smaller, but still to produce these chips as like Xbox and PlayStation. And I mean, let's be honest, also Apple, RDNA 2, soon RDNA 3, Zen 3, yeah. <laughs> like soon Lovelace, like all of these products. I, I, I would think that the amount that they'll have right away wasn't that many because they have no idea if it would sell out immediately. Probably. Uh, this is somewhat of a risky, not risky, but um, conservative adventure into like handheld gaming from Steam, where I would assume the first shipments are just, let's just do as many as we're 100% sure we'll ship. And so, I, yeah, I don't really expect yeah. real availability until quarter two, 2022. And even some of the models literally aren't ready till then. Yeah. But thank you for writing in, everybody. We did definitely omit some of the facts there. Um, Carbon Cry writes in, he says, Global Foundry's Fab 9 is in Vermont is actually leading edge in a way. It used to be IBM, and from what I've heard, they specialize on really good radio and analog devices, supposedly being best in class for those. This is my particular cause for concern. When Global Foundry got those fabs from IBM, those special nodes were consistent with Global Foundry's profile. Meanwhile, with Intel, they do not have much experience with these kinds of nodes. They do not really play in those some markets. And their Intel Foundry stuff has always seemed targeted at leading-edge nodes. Therefore, if Intel does manage to buy Global Foundries, there's, in my opinion, a serious risk they will mismanage the Vermont fab, leading to global technological regression in the areas where Vermont is leading right now. And this is, of course, referencing things we talked about with Global Foundries locations and Intel buying them in the last news yeah. episode. Um, I mean, I would just say, is there a chance Intel will mismanage things? <laughs> yeah, there's always a chance they'll do that. Um, but I think what people need to understand, too, is that if Intel buys Global Foundries, and and, I, and I've heard this actually from speaking with people like Daniel Nenny and more um, that are really informed on this, is I don't think everyone should just assume Intel is going to try to magically put an Intel sticker on every fab and just flip it over into an Intel node immediately. A lot of it is they want those fabs like they want those fabs to make products for specific customers and they want global foundries experience working with uh people outside of their own company their intel has some but really just makes their own stuff for the most part but that's why they're buying global foundries for the fabs they actually have and to kind of build off of their experience working with outside companies to manufacture things don't just assume they're just going to buy Global Foundries fabs and then say, now you will all become 10 nanometer. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and to add to that, I would hope that if Intel sees that this fab is the leading manufacturer of like radio equipment and analog devices, like you say, I would hope that they wouldn't just say, well, I guess we don't make those anymore. If that's making money for them, I don't see why Intel mm. would just switch over all, all of their manufacturing to 10 nanometer in Vermont. Um, I mean, I don't think we should at least be criticizing Intel for making a mistake before they make the mistake. And <laughs> it's not set in stone that Global Foundries is even getting purchased yet unless yeah. I missed something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Both of those things. Uh, yeah. And I mean, a, a, an analogy I would bring up kind of is 
which seems a little out there, but I think makes sense <laughs> is when Microsoft bought Minecraft and it was like, well, now they're going to ruin it for PlayStation. And it's like, no, nah, they just kept selling it on it because they want to make money. <laughs> yeah, and now Minecraft is one of the best selling games of all time. Um, and it's still, they never pulled it from PlayStation, you know, and it's like. Microsoft shepherded that, sh- not series, that game really well. Yeah, I guess you're kind of continuing the analogy. We kind of assumed Microsoft was going to ruin that and they didn't. Yeah. Um, um writes in and broken silicon 111 you mentioned the last of us was getting another remaster though the actual report i've read mentions it's a full remake for ps5 not just a remaster well okay look call it what you want look the demon souls on ps5 is definitely a remake it looks nothing like the original game it's completely redone i guess maybe it's a remake of the first the last of us on ps5 but i think that PS4 version already looks fine, so I don't think of it as a complete remake unless they're doing so much more that, who knows, maybe maybe they're updating it so much that that and even The Last of Us Part Two will look crazy better on PS5, but I don't know that that's incorrect for us to call it that. I, 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 and I don't know which report you're talking about. I'm going off of me talking to other people behind the scenes where, to be fair, though, people behind the scenes will say remaster and remake interchangeably half the time. Yeah, I, I feel like when you're on the this time scale of a a game, which I guess if it came out in 2023 or something, that would be pretty that would be 10 years after the game came out. So I guess that's kind of long enough time to consider it a full remake. But I mean, unless you're completely redoing the game like they did with Demon Souls, it's it's more of a remaster anyways. And it's not like mm. it's some massive remaster like even though it was only i guess what 13 years later for the demon souls remake it, they put a ton of money and effort into completely redoing that game or halo where they completely did re- redid like halo 2 uh yeah I, I don't know if that rises to the level of a remake yet what but. what we would call a remake and and another example i would give is like i would say resident evil 2 that i just played on Steam is that's a remake. <laughs> it looks nothing like the original game. It's in yeah. it's even more of a remake than Demon Souls. Um but then if they were to like put Resident Evil 5 on Xbox Series X in 4K, I'd go seems well, more like a remaster to me. <laughs> it it also becomes more of a almost a question of like the fuzziness of these terms where it's like you can say Resident Evil 2. That's definitely a remake of Resident Evil 2. But yeah. uh, I could even see someone arguing that like uh, that Demon Souls or Shout of the Colossus, like those remakes were just insanely well-produced remasters. Like they don't fundamentally change the game in any way. They just make they just modernize the game. Yeah. And he continues to say he still feels like it's dumb. You know, like, why are they remastering the game? Is it just a remaking it either way? Is it just so they can charge $70 again? And I mean, I think the short answer is yeah. But (laughs) to be fair, just like we said, we probably should have given Microsoft the benefit of the doubt with Minecraft. Let's give Intel the benefit of the doubt buying Global Foundries that when it comes to Naughty Dog, well, who knows? Maybe they're going to completely re redo the graphics and like parts of the gameplay for both the part one and two and add new DLC and an online and all of this other stuff that makes it worth $70. Who knows? I still feel like it's a little silly personally, (laughs) but you know, I guess 
I, I, I have no doubt they'll try to make it feel like it's worth buying again, I guess. So, all right, let us move on then to story number one, Intel's process roadmap to 2025 with four nanometer, three nanometer, 20A and 18A. And this is Anatech's coverage of the recent uh, Intel Foundry Day. And so this is a long one, but I think this is important stuff. So let's get into it here. Quoting from Anantech, in today's Intel accelerated event, the company is driving a stake into the ground regarding where it wants to be by 2025. CEO Pat Gelsinger earlier this year stated that Intel would be returning to product leadership in 2025, but hasn't yet explained how this is coming about. That is, until today, where Intel has disclosed its roadmap for its next five generations of process node technology leading to 2025, and the nodes have been renamed. Intel believes it can follow an aggressive strategy to match and pass its foundry rivals, but at the same time developing new packaging offerings and starting a foundry business for external customers. The goal here is to continue to work on Intel's process node technology development going beyond the current 10 nanometer designs in production today, but simultaneously also use other foundry services from partners, or you might even call them competitors, to regain and retain Intel's position in its processors that drive a lot of the company's revenue until they have node leadership. Well, in Intel's recent quarter three 2021 earnings call, CEO Gelsinger confirmed that Intel is now producing more 10 nanometer wafers in a day than 14 nanometer wafers, marking a shift in confidence between the two designs. And yet we must continually remind everyone that currently TSMC has still surpassed Intel by shipping at capacity, not just as many as an old node, with its equivalent designs called seven nanometer and its leading edge five nanometer designs that surpass Intel's performance Nonetheless, the previously marketed 10 nanometer Alder Lake will now be talked about as a 7 nanometer class product in quotes. And honestly, it's no secret that Intel's 10 nanometer is roughly equivalent to TSMC's 7 nanometer. Yet a lot of the industry, for whatever reason, hasn't learned that these numbers aren't actually a physical measurement. They used to be, but when we moved from 2D planar transistors to 3D FinFET transistors, the numbers became nothing more than a marketing tool. Despite this, every time there's an article about the technology, people get confused. We've been talking about it for half a decade, but the confusion still remains. To that end, Intel is renaming its future process nodes, and here's what they are. Put down a summary from there as well. In 2020, Intel 10 nanometer super fin, this is what Tiger Lake used. Now, in 2021, second half of the year, Intel 7, previously known as 10 nanometer enhanced superfin. What a dumb name. This is what Alder Lake and Sapphire Rapids will now be known as Intel 7 nanometer class products. And then, and as of now planned, second half of 2022, Intel 4, previously known as what their 7 nanometer was going to be, and stated that Meteor Lake's uh, processors will use this in some of their compute tiles, offering, offering Jesus, I said offering, <laughs> 20% performance per watt increase over Intel 7. And then, of course, 2023, previously known as 7 nanometer plus, uh, it's now called Intel 3 in 2024, 20A, Previously known as Intel 5 nanometer, moving to double-digit naming with the A standing for angstrom, or 10A is equal to 1 nanometer. And then 2025, Intel 18 angstrom. Probably saying that wrong. So yeah, to summarize, this year, Intel 7. Next year, Intel 4. 2023, Intel 3. And then 20, 20, they say 20, uh, 2023, Intel 3. 2024, Intel 20A. 2025, Intel 18A. And um, alongside the process node advancements, Intel 
also has too much forward with next-generation packaging technology. Intel's two main specialist packaging technologies are EMIB and Fovros. To conclude, Intel maintains that these roadmaps will showcase a clear path to process performance leadership by 2025. It's a tall order, and the company has to execute better than it has in recent memory to accomplish this. But that's kind of why the company has rehired a number of former Intel experts and fellow researchers in product design and execution. Okay. People give me a break when I mispronounce things, okay? <laughs> There's a lot of these just nonsense words that are just thrown in from 10 different languages. <laughs> if it helps, you did say angstrom, right? I think. Yeah, I, I think, think you might I have overpronounced the O a little bit, but... My chemistry teacher always said angstrom. So that's what I'm going. So there you go. It's a real chemistry boy. You know, again, summarizing. Now they're calling Alder Lake seven nanometer class. Next year, they're going to call products Intel four, then Intel three, then 20A and 18A. I'm going to say, and I don't know if this will surprise people, but I think this made a boatload of sense. When I saw this, I mean, we were on vacation when this news came out. Mm -hmm. I was just like, yeah, that makes sense. It's about time, actually. And to the people that make fun of Intel, guys, Intel's 10 nanometer, though not shipping in as high volume as TSMC 7, is now about to pass 14 nanometer. By the way, past 14 nanometer production when they said it would. It has passed 14 nanometer production, though. Right? Yeah, but by the end of this year, it should be oh, overwhelming yeah. production. And that they wouldn't be doing this, and we're going to get to some more Alder Lake leaks later in this uh, podcast. They wouldn't do this unless 10 nanometer, what they used to call 10 nanometer, is performing very well. And if it is performing well, as well as it was originally intended to perform, which it just hasn't up until this year, then it's as good as TSMC 7 nanometer. And these are all marketing terms. This is long overdue to call this Intel 7, frankly. And like we've talked about on previous podcasts before, like TSMC's, what, like five nanometer, it's essentially just an update of their seven nanometer production, isn't it? Like it, it, This has been an admitted marketing term for a long time. Like Ian Cutrus says in this article, half a decade, and for some reason people just can't catch on to that. It makes sense that Intel would update its marketing terms to... Uh, finally parity with TSMC because I I'm looking at their densities. They're calling their four nan uh, what they used to call what seven nanometer, four nanometer. And it's more dense than TSMC's five nanometer makes perfect sense why they would call it four. Uh, if we're all acknowledging these are just marketing terms, which I kind of like how Intel just took off the nanometer. Like they're not pretending except well, then they add angstrom Two, three years from now, which now they're, we're going to a new fake measurement, I guess. But for well, three years, we have it. Well, let, let's keep in mind, too, that TSMC is kind of doing this as well. If you look at what they call their nodes, they call it N5, N7. If you look mm -hmm. at Global Foundries, they call it, I think, GF12 like 12 LPP. None of these companies are putting nanometer at the end of these names anymore. Yeah, we're kind of just doing that ourselves, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, and, and like Intel was the last one. And the only reason Intel was kind of pretending it was nanometers anymore is because they were in the lead. And again, everyone needs to remember, they thought they would get to where 10 nanometer is at the end of this year. They thought they would get to that by like end of 2017, but they didn't. Yeah. And so you're allowed to be kind of play by some of the old rules a little bit if you're that far in the lead, because then you can just be real pretentious and say, we actually still call ours nanometer. But when you fall behind, you 
you got to just play ball with the ridiculous marketing that's going on. And and that's what Global Foundries did. Global Foundries called their node 14 nanometer, even though it was overall inferior to TSMC 16. Now, I think in some circumstances, yeah. it could make some types of silicon denser than Global Foundries, I mean, than TSMC 16, but it was overall inferior. And I was told, again, Daniel Nenny actually told me this, that he had to deal with uh, a lot of people at TSMC complaining that they would talk to companies about making their products and go, can you make a 14 nanometer product? And they would say, oh, well, our 16 is just actually better than their 14. Um, it's just more, it's less of a lie to call it 16 nanometer, to which they would respond, well, is it literally 16? Well, no, but 14's really just kind of pushing it to call it that. And so now, ever since then, TSMC has completely just been aggressive with saying seven, five, four, three in the upcoming nodes. And and now Intel's doing the same. And if we wanted to be anything close to a real measure, as far as I understand at this point, just quoting densities is probably the (laughs) the best way to do it. Um, Yeah. But densities of which parts? The cache? That's true. Cores? You know, I, like, I guess you would advertise what the maximum density you could achieve, or, but nothing's perfect. <laughs> yeah, and they never hit those maximum densities ever, even yeah. just like node shrinks. Like, so it, again, it's, it's, I even, li- I even like that it's, they don't even just call it like i7, like they just call it Intel 7, because even N7, to me, kind of suggests it's 7 nanometer at TSMC. That's true. I do like that they literally just say Intel 7, Intel 4. Like, you get the idea, but it com- it's completely obvious it's not literally a nanometer. Yeah, I guess the last thing to say is, you know, or I think would be they haven't, um, like you said earlier, they thought they would be to 10 nanometer in 2017. This is Somewhere also, around there, yeah. This is also, you have to add a big asterisk that Intel hasn't met their goals almost at all until like this quarter so it's not entirely true remember um that they are surpassing 14 nanometer production with 10 nanometer now seven i guess nanometer intel seven production um uh, when they said they would a few quarters ago to my knowledge or a couple quarters ago so they are starting to hit some of their targets now these are very recent ones but yeah But but yes, that yeah, nothing where they project three years in the future has been accurate recently. So some grain of salt there. They're under new leadership, and like you said, they're they met their most recent goal. So maybe that's a start of a new trend where they'll actually meet their goals. And you know, obviously that's what we're hoping for. Well, and and when you look at the um, kind of like some of the information here, like into I'm looking at a slide, Intel 7, Intel 4. You're not seeing this absurdity that they did with 10 nanometer, like two, I don't remember what it was. I, I swear it was like times, up to 2.7 times more density than 14 nanometer, like insanely ambitious, like breakthroughs. You're seeing mm-hmm. like, no, 20% better performance per watt, you know? Like they're like, these are very TSMC, you know, plus node-like looking, Things that to me look achievable. Like this, they yeah, don't look like they're saying. shooting for the moon anymore. So I wouldn't be, look, let's see what Intel 4 is like if that comes out on time. But if Intel 4 comes out on time, I have really no reason to doubt that the rest of these will as well. Well, no, we're going to, yeah, you're right. So if we see Intel 4 delivered on time, I'm think, I think, I have no reason to doubt that they'll get to 18A by 2025. 
Well, what's really also interesting here is that video I did, the unquestioned leadership thing, where I took a quote, he said, like, we'll have unquestioned leadership in 2023. Now he's saying 2025. Okay. Maybe I misremember, but maybe he just meant to say 2025 the whole time, (laughs) because (laughs) at least my conclusion in that video was, yeah, there's no way Intel has unquestioned leadership uh, next year or an unlikely 2023 that at the earliest... And again, the word unquestioned, <laughs> like just no doubt in yeah. anyone's mind who's in charge. I, I think 2025 is the earliest that will happen. Now, you guys can soundbite this in three years and tell me I was wrong. And if I am, I'll go, wow. But <laughs> Well, I think if that were to happen, I think Intel would need to start meeting its goals on time every time. And TSMC would need to start falling behind their goals. Yeah, which I don't um, see happening anytime soon. Yeah. And once again... TSMC is a moving target. We'll see where they're at in 2025. Maybe they'll still be duking it out for the unquestioned leadership in 2025. It's funny how you just say TSMC and don't even mention AMD. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking about nodes. TSMC is the, yeah. is the company to talk about. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know that I have anything else to say. I, I mean, when I saw this information, I was like, Yep, this is a very good move. This makes a ton of sense. This is actually long overdue. And I have nothing to make fun of them about for this. I think, you know, Intel 7 is, let's see how good Alder Lake is, but it should prove to be about as good as TSMC 7 nanometer. Now, look, TSMC is going to be at 5 nanometer around then for some products already, but they already are, right, for the iPhone. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not like it's even bragging for Intel, but it's just being honest. Oh, the only other thing I'll add is I know they showed some pictures of some upcoming products. Um, Some like, I just want you guys to know that based on what I'm told, not all of those are correct looking pictures. (laughs) Yeah, they're not being entirely honest. I think it was Granite Rapids or something. That's not exactly what it looks at, but it's hinting at what they're going to do, guys. So I've been hinting at what they're going to do with some of these offshoot architectures for a while. Wait, you have? Well, if you listen to Broken Silicon. Um, all right, now let us move on then to story number two. So RX 6600 XT priced at $379. AMD and NVIDIA don't want sub $400 cards anymore. There's there's several links in here. You know, the official announcement, uh, my tweet before it was officially announced, and then kind of a video looking at What's going to go on with low-end graphics card pricing in the future? I have a write-up, so let me just get into that first. Well, flying to Portland, Tom confirmed one thing via Twitter. As of now, the RX 6600 XT is planned to be priced at $379. That's $20 below the 3060 Ti MSRP, in quotes, and should be taken very sarcastically when I say MSRP, just like the 6700 XT was priced $20 below the 3070. It was also confirmed that no reference model is expected and there will be no sales from AMD's website to anchor pricing. AIBs will be allowed to run wild on this product and... That's exactly what AMD announced officially on 729. The RX 6600 XT is 379, a 36% higher price than what the 5600 XT was priced at in the previous generation for about 30% more performance. It's basically a more efficient 5700 XT for $20 less than a 5700 XT was almost two years later. Yeah, the efficiency is impressive actually though. It's around a 160-watt card, which is below expectations, but ultimately, 
We do not believe it's worth the price premium over the cheaper 12 gigabyte 3060, despite being 15% stronger at most, it's their marketing slides, nor the barely more expensive RTX 3060 Ti with the same size, eight gigabytes of memory. Although let's be honest, the 6600 XT is priced to compete with the street price of the 3060, and that should almost always be above $400, just like the 6600 XT. So, I mean, what are your thoughts, Dan? This was officially announced. I think was it at China Joy-Con or something? Um, once again, uh disappointing. They're <laughs> getting rid of the low end essentially or getting rid of the affordable low end. The fact that they're not going to be selling anything on their website just makes me think that they're just going to allow the price to run wild on this thing. So, I don't know. 380 means what? $450 probably. Like this It's it's so hard for me yeah. to say because as I've covered in multiple videos um in the past 2 weeks, you know, GDR6 prices are like doubling, maybe even going to be over doubling, maybe even tripling. I've heard by the end of this year, you know. So there's a reason for some price increases. Um we also have which we'll get to in the uh, wrap-up end of the podcast, that Samsung's just literally announcing increasing prices on their fabs, wafers. Prices are going up, so some price hike is expected. That's why I look at the 6700 XT and go, well, the 6700 XT is 20% more when prices are exploding, and it has 50% more RAM than the 5700 XT. I, I can see why they actually price that just below the 3070. It has more RAM. It's close to the same performance. Yeah, I get it. But what I'm kind of leading to is I, what I want to say is that maybe this MSRP is high enough that it actually will drop to that at some point. But I, I, don't, know that it, I don't know that I have any proof it will. It's not being sold from AMD's website. AIBs are going to be allowed to go wild with this thing. Yeah, and that's uh, unless it doesn't sell very well and they have to drop prices. It's still at the end of the day amounts to you're paying you're paying in uh, for an uh, equivalent less amount of performance. Like you said, you get 30% more performance for 36% more money from last year's 5600 XT. Typically, you get better performance for less money the later you go because logically that makes sense, but we live in a fun surreal world where nothing makes sense anymore because demand is so high. Yeah, and I did mention this earlier, you know, the video I did while I was on vacation was largely talking about the 6600 XT. Um, you know, it, the, the main thrust and point of that video was just pointing out that like, this is the logical conclusion of the market. You know, I think a lot of us, including me, thought that, well, you know, let NVIDIA or AMD charge as much as they want for the Halo product, as long as the mid-range and low-end stays relatively around the same prices or, you know, at least just in just with inflation a little bit here and there. Who cares, right? Yeah. You know, but at the end of the day, you know, NVIDIA made the Titan and uh, it was $1,000. They couldn't keep it in stock. And then they made a 1080 for $700 and couldn't keep it in stock. And everyone thinks that card was 600 or 500. Maybe you got it for that much. But the first half year, the 1080 was out. It was above 700. The first holiday season, you remember, Dan, mm -hmm. those were selling on Newegg for $800. That was a 104 die, a 104 die selling for $800. And well, there you go. People bought that. People paid 800 for the 2080. People paid 1200 for the 2080 Ti. 
And then the 3080 Ti is actually no worse of a bargain than the 2080 Ti that people seem to give a free pass now for some reason. So, you know, if you're going to make the Halo products get over a thousand bucks, if I mean, get over two thousand with Titans, uh, with the Titan Volta, it's they justified it by saying it was really a machine learning card, but it also <laughs> had massive error rates while doing that. You had to underclock it. I was told by a lot of researchers that it was actually horrible for that because of its massive error rate compared to the professional mm. version. Um, That's nice. Almost like it's really just a gaming card. Uh, and that the Titan RTX was just a $2,500 gaming card. Uh, if you allow the Halo products to get above 2000 and then the second best, which everyone needs to remember, the 80Ti is the second best product, not even the first. Actually, the 3080Ti is the third best product. Um, if you allow those to get to 1200 then what do you think is going to happen? That At the end of the day, the high end is 1200 now. It's not even the best product. It's like cut down, cut down. Like this is a high end product, not even the top end being allowed to be 1200 then they're going to try to move the mid-range to 600 and they're going to try to move the low end to above 300 which it's just hilarious that, you know, a week before they announced this price, I talked about in one of my leaks how AMD internally is openly talking about eliminating the $400 price point by the end of, I think, the 8000 series, basically, is how we'll... Like, that. basically, their end goal is to get the what we would think of as, like, the 5500 XT, you know, 60, if there is one, 6,500 XT, 7,500 XT, get that to around 400 bucks. That's the end goal. They want by RDNA 4 to have the 500 XT be about $400. And if that's the way the market's moving, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully the used card market uh, gets better than it is right now because at the end of the day, I if the 500 XT is $400, that's not a low-end card anymore. That's at... That's that's mid range at at least. Like a system with a four hundred dollar card is going to be at least fifteen hundred dollars. Like mm-hmm. this is this is to a po- getting to a point of complete insanity where I don't know. I think maybe your best bet is or the best bet for a lot of people is just going to be getting last year's model. Hopefully, AMD and Nvidia keep producing those for a reduced price after they're released. But doubt it. If not. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> if not, I think uh, I think the used card market is going to start blowing up because that's yeah. going to be a lot of people's only option. And I see a lot of people in the comments going, well, APUs will fix this. No, they won't. Look at their, they're, they're charging $360 for the top APU right now. They're, what they're going to do is charge $360 for what, I mean, say Zaza 150 millimeter squared die. What are you talking about? Do you think they're just going to, what, <laughs> make a... 18 core, I mean, eight core, 16 thread, uh, AAPU with 28 compute units and what, what onboard HBM or something and what sell that for 250 bucks? Like, no, it's gonna be 350 or 400. Yeah. I guess if it were 400, if it had all of that shit on it, it might, <laughs> it, it might be worth, I mean, that would be a probably $1,000 system. So that would be cool. But, I don't think they're going to sell that for a low price if that proposed CPU APU I just said ever exists. Yeah, and I, I guess I guess the other things I would say about this is just I, I don't want to hear anything from the AMD apologists anymore. Like, and and I want to be clear that I've there's been times I remember other 
tech tubers just jumping out and like, oh, AMD wanted to price the 5700 XT. I remember this at like 450. They're evil now. And I remember going, mm, the 5700 XT is trading blows with the 2080 that costs $800 and it's 450. No, it's not 300, but pff, AMD's offering absurdly better price performance than NVIDIA. And I would say the same things like, you know, people complain about the 6900 XT. Well, the 6900 XT is a 3090 that uses less energy, like so, and costs $500 less. And people who get mad at me for saying that, no, I've tested these cards. The 3090 is not stronger. It's it's a complete joke of a card, um, unless you're using it for non-gaming stuff. Same with the 3080. 3080 costs more than the 6800 XT, and I would argue is overall weaker, actually, <laughs> less <laughs> usable of a product. You know, you should not be paying more money than a 6800 XT. And so AMD hasn't been a charity, but they've certainly come out smelling better, even with their recent launches. But this one here, this one is ridiculous, and no one should defend it. Like, guys, this is what would probably be the, the 6500 XT if AMD cared, and they're selling it for $380. I don't, I really just stop the apologies for AMD. They're, they're just, and, and, and again, the final nail in the coffin on this criticalness I'm being, I'm bringing to AMD right now is the fact that they're not selling it from their website. So there is no MSRP. So I don't want to hear it anymore. No defense on AMD on this one. The, the, the last thing I'll say specifically about the 6600 XT announcement is the comparisons they made are hilarious. I love the like over twice as strong as a 1060 graph. And it's like, yeah, a five-year-old graphics card. Congrats, man. That uses less <laughs> energy to my, yeah. So congrats. You use your double the performance of a five-year-old graphics card <laughs> that cost less five years ago. Like, the the bending over backwards that AMD had, I mean, I mean, maybe this is what we're going to start seeing. You're going to, you know, see the 7500 XT, and they'll just be like, twice as strong as a 5500 XT, $500 or like something. Like, whoa. Like, these comparisons are, are just, I, I mean, just absolutely hilarious to me. It, maybe its performance increases aren't as important as they used to be, and this 3090 mm. tier of performance is vanity. Like, I don't know why you need the 3090. Like, look back at the era of, like, when Crisis was released. You couldn't get a card that could max that game out at the time, pretty much. Yep. <laughs> it was actually We're a good game. <laughs> Unlike some of these uh, punk games, we'll say, that run like shit and where anti-consumer launches. And it's like, yeah, I spent $3,000 to <laughs> play this temple to anti-consumer game launches. <laughs> uh, I'm getting too mad. Let's move on to story number three. Where you'll get less, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Probably not. Uh, story number three. 6600 XT and 3060 volume to massively increase in August, but prices are unlikely to hit MSRPs. This is kind of part two. I put out this big, almost like a follow-up equivalent to NVIDIA's Ultimate Play thing. Kind of a similar type of a story, but um, here's the write-up. Before the 6600 XT was officially announced, Moore's Law's did confirm some interesting supply and pricing information for mid-range cards in August. In short, and in summary, the RTX 3060 and 3060 Ti have been hard to find on desktop for a reason recently. NVIDIA is restricting the supply to support laptop sales while they lack lower mid-range competition, but 
also simultaneously saving up a ton of volume to drop right before the 6600 XT comes out. Until the 6600 XT comes out, NVIDIA would prefer do-it-yourself gamers buy 3070 or higher for now as they make higher profit margins off of those cards. But not only will NVIDIA have heavy volume in August, also, AMD will with the 6600 XT relative to previous product launches as well, which I believe I've seen other people like Hardware Unbox confirming now is too. Um, however, all this volume, likely 350,000 plus cards combined from NVIDIA and AMD, total dropping in early August in addition to the other high-end cards is not enough to satiate demand. PC gamer demand will likely not be met for a few more months. And what I say in this video is that it's probably about a sixth, that there's probably at least like 2 million PC <laughs> gamers looking to get cards still. So if they drop, let's say, half a million in August, that's... We would need to do that for four <laughs> months in a row then. Anyways, he goes, and that's going to lead into the holiday season then with new lockdowns anyways. Additionally, GDR6 and other component prices are exploding. Cards are unlikely to hit MSRP anytime soon, if ever, before a new generation launches. Prices will come down slowly as demand is met, to be clear. But it's going to be a slow drop, not a crash to MSRP anytime soon. And uh, yeah, then I also just in this write-up going to the killing off the sub-400 market, which mm -hmm. we've already talked about. So yeah, not the happiest video, but it is what it is. And again, the, the way I would summarize it is, no, and NVIDIA does this all the time, by the way. They're, they'll save up a ton of volume before an AMD launch and not launch it until they need to because they want you to buy their high-end products if you need to get something. Um, and they're doing that. And the 6600 XT will have, you know, over 100,000 models dropping, uh, models, uh, units <laughs> dropping, and uh, I guess, so, you know, combined, we're probably, you know, looking at at least 350,000 or more uh, cards dropping in August in addition to the already high-end cards being supplied. That's a lot, but, yeah, I mean, that's not enough. It'd take months of that to fit, hit, to uh, satisfy demand, and what happens in a few months? Holiday season, and GDR6 prices are going up. So, again, I think, I think especially in the high-end, you're going to see 3090s, 6900 XTs, ultra-high-end cards stop costing three grand over time this year. I really do think those will start drifting closer to MSRP. You know, you'll see your $1,300, 6900 XTs, your $1,600, 3090s, but those already have insane margins. And, and, and once you get to the low end, I really just don't see the low end having hitting MSRP. And let's be clear, the 3060 is the low end now, really anytime soon. And from what I'm hearing, there's probably going to be at least some kind of like a 750 Ti Lovelace launch early-ish next year, followed by the high end. So I kind of sounds like NVIDIA plans to discontinue and launch a new generation with whatever prices they want, probably right about when substrate issues and supply are met. And uh, AMD isn't expected to be cheap with RDNA 3, although RDNA 3 may be so powerful that it can demand its higher prices, but we'll see. Well, um, I don't anyways... I don't think AMD is exactly asking for low prices this generation either, but... Not by the end of it, no. And, you know, 2 million graphics, I mean, people that are looking for graphics cards, that's... It's really hard for me to ever guess, like, how many people PC game, but 2 million doesn't sound like an extreme amount. No, and but, I can't go into where that's coming from, but yeah. it's, it's based on, you know, real input from some people. I, I, that's, mm -hmm. that's literally all I can say. I've been told not to give any details. Okay. Um, and you know, it, NVIDIA makes sense that they would want to not paper launch, but launch the 3060 beat, uh, AMD to market with reviews and then satiate demand later closer to when AMD makes a card come out that I don't know, kind of just them having their cake and eating it too. 
Hopefully, if they flood the 6600 XT, I mean the 3060 and the 6600 XT both flood the market, hopefully there will be a pressure from below that brings every card down because, you know, there's going to be a bunch of people that would naturally get a 6600 XT but decide to get like a 3070 or 6700 XT instead. So hopefully, hopefully this will cause everything to drift down a little bit. But I and I think it will. I think it will. Yeah. But again, let's let's be clear what that means. I the three thousand dollar sixty nine hundred XTs. Oh, they're probably going to become sub two thousand. The fifteen hundred dollar thirty eighties. No, those are probably going to become under a thousand. The you know twelve hundred dollar thirty seventies. Eventually, probably under eight hundred. But I don't see five hundred dollar thirty seventies being a thing right away. And I don't, I certainly don't see the 12 gigabyte 3060 that really should have been a six gigabyte GDR 6X card <laughs> the more I look at it, which I'm probably going to do a video on it, by the way, guys. Um, that, that It really should have just been a stronger, slightly cheaper priced card with less RAM. Um, that, that thing cost, right? Again, let's just be clear. The 3060 was going to be like a six gigabyte card for, I think, like three... 30 or something. And then NVIDIA was like, oh, do we make it a $250 card with no margins? Or do we, you know, add more RAM? What do we do? And they're like, let's just like linearly add some RAM and we'll slightly increase the price, which they almost never do. But that was adding like $30 to the cost. They would have still made like 30, 40, 50% profits then. Now that the RAM costs have over doubled, that's like adding $72 just for an extra six gigabytes at least. So you're looking at a card that probably now costs about as much to make as a 6700 XT, to be entirely honest, or like 20% <laughs> less to make. So when you look at Best Buy or Newegg and you see a lot of models selling out at like 450 yeah, I think the 3060 costs like 10, 20% less to make than the 6700 XT. I think that's always going to be around a $400 card. And the 3060 Ti is always going to be around closer to 450, 500, and so on and so forth. And the 6700 XT is probably going to remain above 500 or even 600 right next to 3070 pricing for a while, I, I think. They make sense being close to each other. In, like those cards make sense being close to each other in price, like the 6700 XT and the 3070. Now, I think the price should be across the board for everything, like 20% lower, (laughs) but that's not the reality we live in. And yeah, I wish the 3060 would have launched with six gigs of RAM for like, what? 300. $300. That would have been great. And not to cut you off, but like, just to be clear, what what I'm probably going to say in my video, some of this is hindsight is 2020, but some of this I just think is... I don't know. I, I don't think all it's all hindsight 2020 is I really think that the 3060 should have gotten the full die, which the 3060 does not have full GA 106. It's cut down, guys. Should have had the full die pushed to higher clocks at around 200 watts and either given GDR 6X and then that's what the 3060 Ti is for 350 or just 16 gigabit per second GDR 6 and then just make it 300, you know? And I think that would have had around the same profit margins, pretty close as a 12 gigabyte $340 model. And it would have had 10% more performance, which I have a 3060 that I've been testing. And I can honestly say that it just feels too weak for the price. So it should have yeah. been a little cheaper and faster with less RAM. This thing is not a 1440p card. It, it feels weaker than the 5700 XT I messed with. Like notably weaker. Yeah, and... Uh- 
I don't love cards below eight gigabytes on the market at this yeah. point, but six gigabytes is probably fine for. I, I mean, let's be honest. You're gaming in 1080p. You're you yeah. are you're a low end gamer at this point. At least make it so it can get a low end price. You know. Yeah, exactly. And if they were to give it more RAM, well, I have a lot of thoughts on what they should have done with the overall Ampere lineup. But again, <laughs> we'll save that for another video. I don't know. Do you have anything else really to say about this volume thing? Uh, no, I think we covered it in a lot of depth. Yeah, again, you know, guys, volume is going to increase in August. Um, I do believe prices will start. The most absurd versions of MSRP will start coming down. Uh, or, or not MSRP, of prices will start coming down. But just don't bet on MSRP being hit consistently by all models until, frankly, until Lovelace is about to come out, is my opinion. Prices are just up. And and I literally have AIBs telling me, hey, look, inflation is the final nail in the coffin. Now we're worried about that. We're not going to let these things get below MSRP pretty much ever. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It is what it is. Uh, oh, oh, and then the other thing is, do not bet that there, there's some Ethereum complete crash coming anytime soon either, guys. Come on. All right. Falto writes him, hey, Tom and Dan, or guests, in a recent video, you mentioned how the two GPU makers want to end the sub $400 market. So will prices ever stop increasing? Like, it seems at this rate, prices will keep ballooning up. And what's to say Intel won't join them in the high prices with DG4 or DG5, as Intel definitely has a history of increasing prices when they want to as well. Um, yeah, D, again, you know, DG2 enters the room is how I end the article version of that video, uh, the 3060 mm -hmm. flood as an epilogue. That is one saving grace that I could see happening is there's there's really no reason Intel couldn't make, well, except for increased RAM prices, still something that is a 3070 class card for below the price of a 3070, at least below the street price with the killer features. I really, even if it was 450 and it's like a 3070 Ti with 16 gigabytes of RAM, that something, would be something, yeah, it'd be a big it, deal. And I think the idea is, or the general wisdom is that Intel would have to buy their way into the market somehow by offering something for better prices, which they need to. I, the, the only thing I could see Intel, which I, I don't think they have enough, uh, they have enough good, uh, good grace from gamers right now because mm. they've just been out of the limelight for a few years now, is they, they, I don't. I could see them still imagining that they can just slap Intel on it, and some people will think uh, think of that as a premium product. I don't think that's yeah, but, but I don't I, think that's think, true anymore. Absolutely not. Uh, I think it's probably true on a lot of processors and even some SSDs. But those are established products that are well regarded by people and have been for years. When it comes to a GPU, it's like. You're going to have people going, oh, I've never bought an Intel GPU. Mm, I don't know if I want to do this. And NVIDIA certainly has more provenance in GPU circles than Intel or AMD. So it's like you're basically asking the majority of the gaming, whether it's right or wrong, let's just be honest, the majority of the gaming desktop market buys NVIDIA graphics cards. You're basically asking someone who's used to NVIDIA to go, ooh, I'm going to mess with Intel. And if they're an enthusiast, they're probably aware Intel CPUs haven't been so great lately. They have to... And I think they would be willing to sell things for barely more than cost. And if they are, yeah, there's no reason they can't have a four hundred dollar thirty seventy killer. And they should. When Lovelace is probably coming out a quarter after this launches. Yeah, it's important to remember that if Intel releases DG two and it's as strong as like a thirty seventy or even a thirty eighty 
early next year. Um, it's not like they're going to be destroying the market with their new strong graphics card. It's coming at more than a year later, not as strong as either of their competitors. And they're not a premium brand, seen as a premium brand among DIY gamers anymore. They do need to price their way into the market. So I guess that's a long way of we've just said to that uh, Intel kind of has to enter at a low price point if they want to buy their way into the market effectively. At least that's what we both think. That's what we both think, yeah. And because there's going to be plenty of people going, oh, just wait for RDNA 3 if it's not aggressively priced. It has to be very aggressively priced so people are like, I'm not waiting. AMD and NVIDIA are greedy now. I'm buying this right away. They have to. I mean, because it's really not going to be a 3070 and 6700 XT competitor. It's going to be a probably 7500 XT competitor and mm -hmm. an RTX 4060 or even 4050 Ti competitor. And so it needs to be priced like those products will be. QH Freddy writes in, and he says, jumping off the idea of a sub 400 less GPU market you posed in the 6600 XT release video, how do you think the trade-off is for NVIDIA and AMD as far as just ditching that market and letting the secondhand market take it versus actually making low end cards so they get sales to users across the market spectrum? I would imagine that they can actually make decent margins selling low-end cards, think something like the complexity of a 750 Ti for 250, and actually make good sales volume on it because APUs will never be as fast, and a lot of people are reluctant to buy two- to three-year-old GPUs. On the other hand, I think people would be more willing to spend $500 on a GPU if the running premise is that they will be able to sell it for around half the price in two years' time, especially when there is nothing new they can get which is cheaper. Tim and Steve from Hardware Unboxed recently addressed more or less this question at Q&A and came to the conclusion that NVIDIA and AMD might as well sell cards directly to the lower market. Well, so, and, and, I, and I really enjoyed this question. Thanks, QH Freddy, because I want to clarify what, I'm, what I would expect by, quote unquote, killing the sub $400 market. And the notes I wrote here as a response is that I still think AMD and NVIDIA would occasionally make low-end cards for the sub $300 market, but they would be less consistently released and often neglected every other generation. I would compare it to the sub $100 market 10 years ago. Everyone needs to remember that back about 10 years ago, there were cards like the HD6670, Google it guys, uh, and then like the HD 7730, but it wasn't like there was always a good sub $100 card being released every half year or every 12 months. It was like, I mean, look, how long has NVIDIA been selling the GT, I mean, heck, the GT 710, let alone the GT 1030. That's kind of how I see the sub $300 market becoming. I don't think they're just going to stop making those cards. I think you're just going to like, I mean, look where we are. What is it's? Where it's August, it's it's late 2021, and we still haven't had a new sub three fifty dollar or uh, sub three hundred dollar card since. I mean, I'm thinking here, Dan Turing. Twenty. What was the fifty five hundred release for, or fifty five hundred XT? Uh, it's like two thirty or something. So that was kind of there, I guess. And yeah, I but what in 2019, 2018? Yeah, late end of 2019. So, I mean, think about that then. And then, yeah, the 5600, yeah, so right after that. So, yeah, so, I mean, think about that. It's it. You could argue we're already in this market, QH Freddy. And, and, and to the people that go, oh, well, that's not exactly what that bad or exactly what you made it sound like, I would disagree. Uh, think of a generation five years ago that neglected the sub $300 market. It would be considered insane. I mean, they launched the 
the R9 three, well, yeah, the R9 380, I think, before the Fury. They launched these $300 cards, you know, whether it's the 7850, the 7870, the 380, the 1060, um, the nine, you know, all of these sub $300 cards were launched close to the flagship launch because you got to service that $300 market. Roger Cadore had a big old slide that I pointed out in my video where it said 84% of gamers buy cards between 150 and 300. This is an essential market. That was just a few years ago. Roger Cadore was saying no one should ever ignore the $300 market. And yet here we are, here we are. And it's been years. So I would argue that you could make the argument we're already in this reality that I've been talking about. It'll take a couple cycles to prove the trend, but yeah, I don't think you're wrong. Now it's just trending towards the sub 300 tier is dying. Uh, and, you know, uh, five years ago, that two, 150 to like $250 price range was alive and well. That's clearly not there anymore. And that's starting to give way to the what, $350 to $450 tier, I would say. It's, yeah, uh, at least for new cards, because someone show me a new card you can get for less than $350. You know, it, it, it's funny. Um, doing those focused videos is important for applying research I've done and getting leaks out there, getting out interesting perspectives. But having these conversations with guests and you, Dan, I feel like we've just kind of stumbled into realizing they killed the $300 market last year already. It's dead. Guys, it's already dead. Yeah. They, <laughs> like, I'm writing this down as a timestamp. Guys, they've already killed it. There's one There's one card that's within 10% of $300 MSRP, and I don't know. What What do you, can I get a 3060 for right now, if I can even get a 3060 right now? <laughs> like, it, Oh, I mean, the, uh, realistically, readily in stock? I mean, like a 1,000 or something silly on Newegg. Uh, you'd have to, you know, be yeah. trying hard to get one for below 500 and I don't want to be that unfair because I know we're in a weird time, but sure. I, if you want to be a dick, you but could. But so then let's just look at MSRPs. When is the last $300 car been launched? <laughs> it's dead, guys. They already killed it. We just noticed. Yeah, <laughs> they did. Oh, man. Well, there you go. Gosh, Reesey. Why does Windows 10 Professional have to be so expensive? Don't listen to that, nerd. Listen to me. You can get all the great Windows and gaming keys you need at CDK Offers. I have a plan. Go to cdkoffers.com to get all the Windows Professional and Microsoft Office keys you need, and games as well. Add them to your cart, and you can even apply one of them city slicker promotional codes like Dashrink for 3% off software and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. I do have an account on this website, and it is ultra easy to use. Just submit your order, use PayPal, credit card, or Bitcoin, and go to Windows website to download Microsoft Professional. One more time, that's go to cdkoffers.com. They're a fantastic sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead. Use offer code DOSHRINK for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows products. Now, back to the show. Let us move on then <laughs> to uh, story number four. 
NVIDIA Lovelace and next-gen switch details leaked by Moore's Law is Dead. All right, have a little write-up here. Before leaving on vacation, Tom had one more leak to get done. Early info on Ampere Next and the Nintendo Switch successor. In short, these products may be linked, and in summary, the Nintendo Super Switch seems most likely to be using a variant of the Orin APO. This is a big departure from recent Nintendo habits of using very old hardware in their latest releases. But then again, right now Nintendo has a lot more money than they had going from the Wii U to the Switch. That needs to be remembered by everybody. And also, it is worth noting that NVIDIA it probably sees it as much more worth it to put a lot more effort into a custom product for Nintendo now that they are so resurgent. See, before it would make sense, guys, for NVIDIA to kind of look at Tegra as for self-driving, but when they see 100 million you know, units sold for the Switch, I don't think they're quite there yet, but they're close. They haven't hit it. Well, then you go from NVIDIA. NVIDIA will say, well, we're going to sell more Switches than cars. Let's do a custom variant, a truly custom variant for Nintendo. So... I think this actually makes a lot of sense, despite Nintendo typically using much older generations. Point number two, the Super Switch SoC could actually be called Lovelace, or at the very least, it seems to likely use some version of Lovelace in its SoC when it launches, likely by 2023. The Super Switch is unlikely to have the same performance, to be clear, as the top 2048 CUDA Core Orange chip, but it should be notably stronger than the Steam Deck, whichever variation of the Orange family they choose. Also, Lovelace sounds Sounds like a Maxwell Tapasco-like leap compared to Ampere if it is the main architecture, utilizing a far superior 5 nanometer node. Although again, I want to say that there are some references to Lovelace being a more mobile-focused low-end to mid-range launch. I'm guessing that's just the first cards, but also worth noting, people. Um, and that I should also note that Copite 7 Kimmy believes it is TSMC 5 nanometer. So I can't confirm that myself, but I should say that he's saying it's TSMC, not Samsung. Anyways, though, point number five, the top Ampere Next is expected to bring a 60 to 80% performance leap over Ampere, with some sources saying it could get close to doubling it if NVIDIA allows it to use excessive power, likely over 400 watts. But at the same time, NVIDIA is expected to ship more units than AMD at a competitive price point anyways if AMD wins in performance. Uh, because RDNA 3 is actually expected to over-double performance at this point. I don't think triple, but you know. And final point, the first Lovelace discrete chips sound like a mid-range or low-end refresh before the high-end is ready, a la NVIDIA's 750 Ti launch before the main <clears throat> Maxwell 2.0900 series generation. So again, guys, there was a lot to summarize, you know, if I were to condense it even more, you know, point number one, and Nintendo is probably using the latest APU, some variant of Orin. Lovelace is probably in it, or at least the name of the SOC. It's probably going to be stronger than the Steam Deck, although probably not as strong as like a 3060. I kind of doubt it will be, but eh, we'll see. And uh, that Lovelace seems like a Maxwell to Pascal-like leap, a much better node, bigger chips, up to double the performance if they push energy usage an insane amount, but otherwise, current projections by AMD are 60 to 80% based on what they know. Trust me, these companies do a lot of research to project their competitors' performance. And that RDNA 3 is expected to be 80 to 120% over RDNA 2. You know, so AMD could win by a solid 20% or more this next generation. All right, damn, there's a lot of stuff there. <laughs> what do you think? Well, we, you and I talked behind the scenes a lot about the, um, oh, yeah, about the Lovelace in the Switch or the Super Switch or whatever they'll call it. I, I do think they'll, I like that I name. Think, I think Nintendo has 
finally stumbled across another design that they'll go with for a while. Like, I think this crossover handheld thing they're clearly going to go with for I mean, frankly, I don't know how long. Maybe they'll just keep doing that in perpetuity. Well, like think of the Game Boy Advanced SP and then the DS and the 3DS. Yeah. Those all are the same lineage. I mean, they really stumble upon something that worked. Yeah, and the Switch is kind of just a continuation of that more than their consoles, almost like. But, you can, but you're uh, saying it's kind of like, think of the first Switch as kind of like the DS and the Switch Super Switch is probably like the 3DS. Very similar form factor, but much stronger. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think the uh, year 2023 is 2022-2023, based on prior trends from uh, Nintendo, that's probably when it will come out. I mean, frankly, they only have a few more. They only have 30 more million Switches to to sell, if I understand that correctly. Mm-hmm. Or Technically a rumor, but it Technically seems, a, yeah. seems like people are acting like it's fact by now. <laughs> But, you know, you talk to me about how you think NVIDIA might force their hand with Lovely by putting a newer architecture on the Switch than what NVIDIA allowed Nintendo to do with the previous Switch. And Other way around. Oh, sorry. Let me start over, Dan. So the Wii U used HD 4000 graphics. HD 6000 was out by then. That's absurd. And they used Maxwell for a 2017 product. Pascal was out and Volta launched that year. And there was a Volta Tegra SoC. And they could have gone with something significantly higher performance than what they went with. But that's just what they decided to go with. And I'm under the impression that NVIDIA wanted them to use Pascal or Volta. But Nintendo didn't want to pay an extra 10 bucks because they thought it met the performance targets they need. And it did. We've seen that it did, at least for now. And so they just went with that. And I think moving forward, in, and I make this point in my video, if I was Jensen, I'd be pissed that developers are trying to fit The Witcher 3 on a four gigabyte low-end device that uses Maxwell graphics. I would much rather they were optimizing for Tegra uh, Volta, which has tensor cores. They could have been putting yeah. DLSS in a console years ago, but they can't because they're freaking optimizing for Maxwell in 2021, which is insane. That would be like if the PS4 used HD 6000 graphics and never got the benefit of GCN optimizations from devs on console. So I think if I was NVIDIA, I would make them use Lovelace, not even Ampere, make them use Lovelace. So they're optimizing for that for years to come. Yeah. So it makes sense that they would want (laughs) that they would try to force Nintendo's hand or by just saying this is what you're using, even if that means uh, NVIDIA isn't making a ton of money off of each console sold. Uh in the beginning, because this is going to be the architecture that they're designing on for or optimizing for years to come or some variation of it. Um, Which and, Ampere and Lovelace are expected to be pretty similar. So, well, yeah, like you say, for Maxwell, now, well, the Pascal. T- yeah, <laughs> we'll see how that evolves, but it makes perfect sense that I don't know. They have this almost beta tester early run of their next architecture on Nintendo that they'll be optimizing now for the next two or three years. And they won't be for <laughs> Nintendo won't be putting Cyberpunk 2077 on <laughs> whatever old shit they would prefer to buy because Nintendo seems to not care about whatever architecture they put in their system. 
And again, though, it's also worth mentioning that one reason they would have went with the Maxwell Tegra for the Switch is that Nintendo needed the profits. They needed to... They didn't know how well it was going to sell. They just knew it would sell very well with their target market. But, you know, the Switch has seen more mainstream success than a lot of recent Nintendo launches. And if they would have known that the Switch was going to end up getting The Witcher 3 and Doom, not just Mario games, they might have reconsidered putting that extra money into it. But they didn't know. And Nintendo had gone through a rough patch. And NVIDIA maybe didn't care because NVIDIA is probably like, yeah, it could sell 50 million, but... Man, we yeah. you sold ten or something or fifteen. Like, who cares? You know. So let's let's not put any effort into this. But now Nvidia would want to put effort into this. Well, the Switch is what if we're looking at this as a console still, which it's a hybrid, but it's their most successful console, arguably since what the SNES almost. Like, it's been a while since they've had. I mean, they, there's the Wii, but the Wii sold for sold a bunch of consoles that. My understanding is a lot of them were paperweights, but <laughs> well, so this could be the, the, the correct be statement would be, and this is just a fact: like the attach rate for software on the Wii was pitifully lower than the 360, and like magnitudes lower than the PS3. It's like a fourth the attach rate or something crazy. Don't yeah. quote me on that, but it was like it was it was easily the lowest attach rate of software that generation, like way low. And just anecdotally speaking, but uh, this anecdote does get to the point where I think it's a is mm-hmm. a legitimate data set. How many people do you know that had a Wii that sat in behind their TV collect- TV collecting yeah. dust? And that was every Wii after I, it was I, open for a month. I mean, I literally I I remember hearing a comedian say that, and I looked behind the TV, <laughs> our parents' TV, and I was like, "Yeah, there's there it is. Is that Wii collecting <laughs> dust? That's not the case anymore." So. It would require, it would make sense that Nintendo would put forth effort. And they'd have before. The Nintendo 64 was really powerful. The GameCube wasn't a slouch, certainly not for the price. So it's not like Nintendo wouldn't do this. It's just, they, you know, they've been going with a different strategy since the Wii, and now would be the time to really step it up. And, I mean, what do I, what do I know? Maybe it will. Maybe it will be some five nanometer variant of Orin with Lovelace that would hopefully, you know, get you something close to, yeah, like a 3060 in performance. I, I doubt it'd get that strong, but I could see around a 2060 and that would be sick, you know, yeah, in a handheld. I, I guess I'm curious w- what they care about getting to. I would hope they would try to target. What their target is. Least, I would hope that at least the Series S is the, is the level of performance they would target. Well, 2060 is stronger than the Series yeah. S. So, yeah, I mean, I would think they'd want to get to at least a Series S and then with DLSS and building in just maybe like just maybe even with like hardware, uh, even more specific hardware for accelerating DLSS in every game on the console. You could make the argument that, yeah, it's like docked. It's DLSS 4K on the go. It's DLSS like 1440p, 1080p. That's what I would want to target, and I'd want to give it, you know, well, I don't know. I, I would guess they're going to give it 12 gigabytes of RAM. We'll see. And But, yeah, maybe 12 That's ARM hard. cores and 12 gigabytes of RAM uh, since they don't have hyper-threading. Yeah, man, I think that would be a pretty pretty sick handheld console, bro. Yeah, I mean, but. I'd consider getting it. We'll see. I don't know. I, just, I have a good laptop. I have, a, I have one. I have a 2060 <laughs> laptop. I already have it. Yeah. Traga Hawk writes in, 
Hi, Tom and Dan. With all the rumors and leaks that have started to go around about Lovelace or Ampere Next GPUs, whatever they're called, one thing has me wondering, is NVIDIA likely to be on a TSMC node, be it 5 or 7? Or are they likely going to stay on Samsung? Um, I think they're going to use both. I really suspect, I don't know, I guess we'll see. You know, because what it sounds like now is Copite thinks TSMC 5 nanometer. It wouldn't surprise me if they did the low end on Samsung 5 and the high end on TSMC 5. Um, that's kind of what I would wonder. Or, or again, some sort of a die shrink of Ampere to Samsung 5, which Ampere's supposed to be close anyway, so there's nothing wrong with doing that. that, that that's kind of what I expect, but at least Copite says TSMC, so who knows? Yeah, well, what's... Uh, I don't remember. What is Samsung's five nanometers supposed to compare to? I mean, it's, it's a little worse than TSMC's five. It's probably, okay. if it was fully working, better than their six, though. Okay. Alex0608 writes in, and he asks, Hey, Tom, I don't deny your view of the Steam Deck being niche. That said, I don't necessarily think you have the whole picture either. I bet there are a fair number of retro or emulation enthusiasts that can't wait to get a handheld PC uh, and cable and main system for emulators, for legal use, of course, by the way. Well, yeah, so I think we need to just say, what would you consider niche? I know a lot of people consider VR niche still and like what the uh, I think the PlayStation VR sold 7 million and like the Quest and the others are selling pretty well now. Is that niche? We're talking a VR market of over 10 million now. And these are hardcore VR gamers, relatively speaking. Um, when I say niche, I we're kind of just talking like under 10 million. Um, although I could see the Steam Deck selling better, but I just don't see it selling as well as the super switch, not even remotely as well. And the comparison I kind of want to make, uh, and I will assume it will be for now is to the PlayStation Vita. PlayStation Vita had an insanely high software attach rate, a really passionate, mm -hmm. um, community of indie gamers, especially before the switch came out, which switch kind of replaced it. Um, but you know, it only sold like seven, it didn't even sell 20 million. I think it sold 17 million total. And I, well, yeah, I'll be honest. This isn't a prediction. This is my honest feelings. I will be surprised if the Steam Deck sells 20, 17 million. Yeah. I, it could. And people call the Vita niche. So I, I, I guess I would guess somewhere between, I, like what? Five and fifteen million is my prediction, um, and to go against Alex's point, like how many retro gamers are there? That's mm. that's already a well. How many retro gamers are there that can't play these same games on a emulator that's on true. some pretty powerful smartphones by now, or cheaper and significantly weaker, more portable handheld PC devices that are already out? And my main point is just like retro gaming is already somewhat of a niche thing. And now we're getting into the point where it's a niche of a niche. I don't think hmm. retro gamers are going to be what makes this thing sell 40 million units. I hmm. think they might sell 500,000 to a million units of uh, Steam decks. And, and, and I'm collecting developer feedback or hmm. should I say opinions on the Steam Deck right now. Um, you know, people from all over, like Dice, Ubisoft, Sony. I mean, I, I like. I'm really curious what people think. Even some indie studios of the Steam Deck. 
Um, and uh, I might do a video on it, but it, it really informed, at this point, I'm kind of to the opinion that the Steam Deck should have had two models, one that's more portable uh, and a little weaker, targeting emulators with that 64 gigabyte SSD, or not even really SSD, EMC, whatever it is, uh, storage. And then a one terabyte, slightly stronger version that can play AAA games better because they market it as like, I think a quote Gabe Newell said is this plays 800p like the Xbox Series X plays 4K. And I would say, well, yeah, well, half of the Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5 games aren't technically running native 4K, dude. Uh, yeah. And the better comparison I would make is the Steam Deck has probably half the bandwidth of the Series S and a third the teraflops, roughly. Does that make that sound strong? Not even a third, <laughs> right? Like a fourth. Um, it's 1.6 versus, I think, 4.2. It's about, uh, yeah, it's about a fourth, I guess. A, a little more than a fourth. But it's up to 1.6 teraflops and it's a handheld device. So it says 1 to 1.6. So, yeah. eh. no, I think it's more around a fourth if we're being maybe even generous. So, I mean, does that make it sound strong? This device is a third as strong as a Series S. Yeah, you might have a, what, 600 to 800p gaming device on your hands, which... Which doesn't hold 60 frames as consistently as the Xbox. Which, that's fine. It's just know what you're getting before you get it. I'm. We'll see with reviews when they come out, but yeah, I think it's going to be getting 600 like 30 fps a lot of the time on some of the newest games yeah and you know and that's where i just go well i know AAA gamers say they want to play on the go but it's like yeah i don't really i play maybe deep rock galactic on it but i can already play that on pretty weak hardware and and yeah that's where i go they should have either kind of made it even more portable and cheaper or they should have really pushed it a little harder actually with higher clocks that are more consistent because I just, you know, I don't see myself wanting to play Metro Exodus on this. I'm going to want to sit down on my 4K screen, you know. Yeah, I don't foresee my, I wouldn't foresee myself playing Metro Exodus on the Steam Deck. And I'm not going to play Battlefield 2042 on it because I'll suck using those controls. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I don't know. Do I think it will be niche? Define niche. I will compare it to the PlayStation Vita. And if I'm being honest... Not saying I'm sure, but if I'm being honest, I'd be surprised if it sold as many as the Vita. Very surprised, 17 million. But I can see a world where it does better than expected. And I would like that because then they will keep iterating on it and make a lot of cool different offshoots. And again, I'm looking for one that's like the size of like a Xperia Play or like 3DS. That's what I want them to make some weaker version where I can play Age of Empires and stuff on that. That's what I want. I want something that's so portable I just throw it in the back pocket. Yeah, and, and to go back to the point of what's niche, people do need to remember if you if you've been in the market for a long time, like if you've been in the market since the 90s even, like the definition of niche has changed a lot over time because consoles have gone so mainstream that like uh, a mainstream console from the early 90s, late 80s, that would be a niche console now because there's that just that many more people that are into gaming than there used to be. King Atlas 347 writes him, he says, during the IGN interview with Valve, it was stated that the Steam Deck would have the ability to install any OS of your choice. 
But some of that has a reservation on one. Would it be better to just install Windows and avoid the Proton compatibility issues? Or do you think that Valve will be able to get Proton working perfectly for it? Also, they stated that any other store will be available on it. So will they be allowing the Microsoft Store on it? I think they should if they want if they're smart. By the way, uh, I know the that a lot of people don't like the Microsoft Store, but I came from an Xbox over to PC, and most of my friends still have Xboxes. Yeah, I mean, this is something we talked about in that um, SteamOS die shrink uh, that patrons can listen to. Uh, that we really feel like they should have made more of an effort to put like Origin and stuff on SteamOS. Yeah, like, get that all ported over. Um, I think they'll allow it for sure. Should you, should you wait? Or, I would say, like, let's see what the reviews say. I don't, you know. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I really don't feel comfortable just saying, yeah, you should definitely put Windows on this instead. I think, I know they said that you could put Windows on it if you so choose. And Valve has remained pretty consistent uh, or has said a lot now that, like, this is supposed to be a relatively open platform. So I hope you see something like Origin on the Steam Deck. Yeah. Okay, and let us move on then to story number five. RDNA 3 and Zen 4 reconfirmed again for 2022, which, I don't know, I I guess this is news. It just seems like people keep doubting when everything's going to come out and then it becomes news over and over and over again when it's re-re-re-re-reconfirmed. But uh, quoting here a little bit, from some of summarized information from WCCF Tech, um, during its quarter two 2021 investor call, AMD CEO Dr. Lisa Su confirmed that their next generation Zen 4 Ryzen CPUs and RDNA 3 Radeon RX GPUs are on track for launch in 2022. Quoting from Lisa Su, we remain on track to launch next generation products in 2022, including Zen 4 processors built with industry leading five nanometer process technology and our RDNA 3 GPUs. Bergman then from AMD also quote is quoted as saying, given the maturity of the x86 architectures now, the answer has to be kind of all of the above in terms of how you increase performance. If you look at our technical documentation on Zen 3, it was a long list of things that we did to get that 19% IPC increase again. And Zen 4 is going to have a similar long list of things where you look at everything from the caches to the branch prediction to the number of gates in the execution pipeline. Everything is scrutinized to squeeze more performance out of it, which, you know, when you hear him say something like that, he's basically just confirming it's at least Zen 3 IPC again. So let me see here. There was one other quote here, but it looks like, yeah. And then Lisa Sue is also quoted as saying, there will be more core counts in the future. I would not say that 16 cores is the limit. It will come as we scale the rest of the system. All right, Dan. So I don't know. Oh, if you, if you have really any big takeaways from, like, this kind of made the rounds, and I thought it was worth kind of emphasizing, because I feel like I see a lot of people all of a sudden going, oh, now Zen 4 is a 2023 product, just like they were like, Zen, there's no way Zen 3 is coming out in 2020. Uh, in 2020. There, not too much to add. I mean, 2022, that's honestly a bit delayed based on their previous, their track record for the past few years, so... I'm expecting what 18 months to two years for their next product line to come out. That's well for not their next product line necessarily, I guess, but for Zen 4 and RDNA 3 to come out, that's 
not insane. I, and I've seen no indication that it's being pushed to 2023. So I don't really know where all of that comes from, aside from people wanting to be pessimistic, maybe. Mm-hmm. My other big takeaway here is that, you know, here we go, them reaffirming 2022, and they're not like, you know, by the end, they're saying in 2022, same with RDNA 3. I'm I'm really fairly confident that Zen 4 will be out probably before quarter four next year. Uh, and the consumer system, obviously Genoa should come up before that. And that RDNA 3, I do believe can be out by quarter three as well. Um, that I, I don't think these are both going to be paper launches at the end of the year. And, and that Lovelace is likely to be out sooner than people think. I know a lot of people are saying it's going to miss next year possibly, but I just, I, I feel very, fairly confident AMD is not missing next year. And like I pointed out in that one video about Lovelace, I was like, look at this guy here. Look at his picture. Look at how, how big of an ego he has. Do you think he's not going to launch something at least paper launch before RDNA 3? I, I, I really do think people are underestimating Intel, NVIDIA and AMD's launches right now. I guess that's basically what I'm saying with this story. Yeah, even if they need, even if NVIDIA needs to push whatever they are making to like 400 watts might be a bit beyond the pale, but they've done, <laughs> they've done that before. <laughs> they could do it again. We'll see. Like there's nothing stopping them from releasing a card in 20 uh, new cards in 2022. That's, uh, that's not crazy at all. That's once again, perfectly in line with how NVIDIA has been releasing cards for the past, I think, like couple cycles now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Profuse Duck writes in and he says, hey, Tom, knowing as much as you do in the industry. Well, I don't know how much. It, well, I think I know some. He goes, do you see these intergenerational 20 percent plus IPC gains every year being sustainable by either or both Intel and AMD? If so, do you see it increasing further per year? And if not, when do you see it slowing down? I feel like I've pretty fully answer this in multiple <laughs> videos. Basically every month there's a video where I, ba- where I address this type of thought. But, um, I mean, look, look, look guy. Hey guy. Guy. Look. Yeah. Guy. Look, Zen three is about 20% better than Zen two. And Zen two was about 15% better with doubling core counts to Zen one. <laughs> I mean, let's look at what, let's just address Alder Lake then, you know, let's remember that, Intel was hoping to have some eight core Ice Lake or Tiger Lake out last year or more than eight cores and just never happened because of all their 10 nanometer woes, now seven nanometer apparently. Um, And that Alder Lake, based on everything we're seeing, and we will address this in the next uh, story, should bring, you know, another 20% IPC increase, higher core counts, Mm -hmm. and then Raptor Lake. Not 20% higher IPC, but higher core counts again. Probably another 5% IPC increase in higher clocks. Like, so, I no matter how you dice it, I would say Raptor Lake will easily be at least 20% better than Alder Lake. Can we agree Raptor Lake's 20% better than Alder Lake? Yeah, it's... Eight more little cores, higher IPC. It's a weird metric. It's I, I hate to say, like, 20% better because it's honestly kind of hard to quantify when you're just talking about core increases, that's... Well, and IPC. And see. Yeah, and IPC, but I I wouldn't... I would hazard a guess that... Overall. It will be 20% better in a lot of stuff and probably better more, more than, than that at some tasks. Yeah, and I mean, Zen 4, I expect to be... 
at least 25% better, actually, uh, around there. Um, yeah. Some tasks it won't be, but yeah, maybe not. So, I mean, look at look at what we're thinking. I mean, Zen 3D should be 15% better than Zen 3. Okay, next to Alder Lake Beam. Well, let's not address what it's replacing because everything <laughs> before it sucks. But then, and then we go from Alder Lake and Zen 3D to Zen 4. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you can expect this 20% IPC increase a roughly every, I think you can expect a 15% increase roughly every year or 30 to 40% every two years, depending on how you look at it. And I don't see that, you know, I think Meteor Lake will be at least as big of an increase as Raptor Lake. And I think Lunar Lake's going to be far bigger than that. And I think Zen 5 is going to be, it sounds like, I mean, AMD's basically indirectly behind the scenes saying Zen 5 is going to be just as big of an increase as Zen 4. Um, in fact, I almost wonder if Zen 5 is going to be kind of like what Raptor Lake is to Alder Lake, except a little better. Like, it kind of mm -hmm. sounds like, from what I've been told, Zen 5 should come out after Zen 4, closer to it, kind of like Zen 3 came only a little over a year after Zen 2. So I kind of expect Zen 5 to just increase some core counts and then IPC by a certain amount, kind of like Raptor Lake. So... I think, I think, yeah, we're getting these increases every year. And once we finish up with Zen 5 and Raptor Lake and Meteor Lake, we're already into 2023. Lunar Lake's bigger than that. I mean, I think this isn't slowing down until 2026. Yeah. And, and, you and there's know, no reason to think it will, by the way. I'm just saying that's how far out I can see. <laughs> yeah. And based on current projections, it seems from TSMC, AMD, Intel, it seems like this won't relent until at least 2025 if all of their predictions are going to be met. And like you say, you can't forecast out beyond a certain point. So 2025 to 2026, it sounds like both com all these companies are pretty optimistic that they're going to be meeting pretty monumental goals seemingly year over year. So yeah, probably the next half decade. Now, is this going to keep going into 2030? Like, there's no way to know that. It's going to relent at some point. I would bet it does before 2030. But it seems like things are going to keep increasing pretty significantly with CPUs for like five, six years at least. Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess let's move on then to story number six, which is one such increase. Story number six, leaked Intel Alder Lake numbers place it up to 22% quicker than AMD's finest Ryzen. And this actually, I believe, came out the day technically our last news episode went public. <laughs> so it does technically fall into this cycle of news coverage. And, and, and I do have some thoughts on it. So first, let me quote here from PC Gamer. A leaked benchmark for Intel's top-end Alder Lake chip, the Core i9-12900K, has appeared from Twitter leaker OneRaichu, painting Intel's 12th gen CPU in an incredibly positive light. Well, it's only one benchmark. If this performance played out across everything else, the numbers suggest that Intel could be set to reclaim its performance crown from AMD, and by some margin, too. There's a lot of info packed into the tweet, not least of which is that the chip isn't overclocked, although these numbers were achieved using water cooling, so I don't know how you... Classify that, Dan, because also the single-threaded and multi-threaded performance figures are both incredible. It gives the i9-12900K an 18% lead over the 16-core 5950X, although the Alder Lake chip is actually running with fewer threads. Its 16 cores are made up of eight Golden Cove cores with hyper-threading and eight Graysmont cores without hyper-threading, a total of 24 threads. Lemony's finest Ryzen supports 16 Zen 3 cores with 32 threads total. 
I guess the key scat for PC gamers is, however, that the single-threaded number this rumor offers up at around 22% higher than the Zen 3 chip that could give it a serious lead in any gaming performance metrics you care to throw Alder Lake's way. And so the notes I have here for this are that I made this a main story um, because not I'm not 100% sure of these results. So I almost didn't. But, well, I'm not 100% sure of this leak. You know, this isn't my leak, so I can't be 100% sure. But not that I'm doubting the person that leaked it. I'm just saying it's not for me. Um, I don't think you should bet on it. But I wouldn't be... Sh I'm not as shocked as some people seem to be. Like, in the Moore's Law's Dead Discord, there were people like, this is absolutely insane. And I just, like, looked at it and thought for a couple minutes and went... Then I just posted my leak from January where I said, guys, I already told you, Mobile Alder Lake should have a 20% single-threaded increase and a doubling of multi-threading performance at same or lower power in laptop. So... What do you think that means, guys? And that video, I then projected that based on this mobile information, top Alder Lake S, that's the desktop models, should at least beat the 5900X at everything, including multi-threading, and that people within Intel were telling me they easily expect to beat the 5900X at everything, though they're not sure about the 5950X. So that was from early this year. If 10 nanometers performing better than expected or better than their worst projections, maybe we'll mm -hmm. call it, which it definitely seems to be. They're now calling it Intel 7, for Christ's sake. Well, then, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if it was even better than that if they pushed it with really high clock speeds, which it seems like they might. Um, and that's really all I have to say is that I'm not 100% sure that this Alder Lake was completely at stock settings. I really wow. am skeptical of that, but these results are plausible, is what I would say. It I think it did say in the article as well that it was pushing 200 watts. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I if it's not overclocked, I'm guessing they're pushing <laughs> they're pushing uh, boost clocks uh, with completely with water cooling. And if you're expecting this performance, expect your CPU to run relatively hot. But overall, it sounds like it's at the high once again, like the high end, if you think of everything as a bell curve, somewhat high end uh, projections from what you could have guessed or inferred like four or five months ago that Alder Lake might meet. Not like the 95th percentile, but maybe in that 60th percentile mm. level of performance. And, you know, that's good. Uh, it's one benchmark. So we'll have to see more leaks, obviously, but... It's not a. It's not with outside of the realm of possibility. It's just a little surprising, I guess. I, maybe not even surprising. It's just a little unexpected. I mean, the way I would put it is this. Again, remember what I confirmed. At least in mobile, at same or lower in the uh, most. And I was actually told that in most situations, it looks like it's using less energy compared to the Tiger Lake products it's replacing, Mobile Alder Lake is double the multi-threading performance. And so, yeah, I mean, if we look at, I would expect at least that compared to Desktop Rocket Lake, and it's on 14 yeah. nanometers. So look at Desktop Rocket Lake. Uh, the top eight core is a little worse, maybe comparable. Some people would argue the same as a 5800X. Depends on the game. Okay, well, add 20% higher single-threaded performance. 
Um, it's now easily better than the 5800X, and it's probably getting somewhat close to the 5900X. Now add eight little cores. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could get close to a 5950X. And, and that's all I would say is, no, it doesn't surprise me that it'll get close to a 5950X. If it beats it, I am assuming they've pushed it to use rocket lake levels of energy. But if they can claim that they beat the 5950X, which might be the calculation they're making, you know, like, you know what? If we can beat the 5950X at everything this year, we should do it because they're not going to have Zen 3D Intel quarter one. So we should do it if we can. And even if it's using what, how much energy does the 5950X use? Like even, <laughs> 100 watts, 125, yeah. somewhere between so there, depending on the app. Even if it's using like, what would that be? Like 60% to double the wattage, but it does eke out performance across the board over the 5950X. It looks less dumb than a CPU that uses more energy and is less powerful, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there's a case that most people wouldn't really get care, like, oh, my system uses 75 more watts, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if they think they could push it past the 5950X by, like, doubling the amount of watts, or, like, using 50% more energy than it would have used if they would have pushed it a little less... That might be a calculation they would make or not even advertise it like that. Advertise it as a another like 150, 160 watt CPU and then have the Mm. motherboards by default disable all of those uh, energy mitigations. So it uses it pushes 200 watts with your aftermarket cooler and they can advertise having the best of both worlds, which is kind of what they've already done to begin with uh, in previous generations. Yeah, and let's remember that Intel um, isn't going to have all of these chips that powerful. This is the top chip, supposedly. So it makes a lot of sense to me. I I would go as far as to say this, though. If this does beat the 5950X in multi-threading on average by, like, even 10 15%, just call it a 150-watt chip or 200-watt. I mean, (laughs) at this point, you're beating AMD's top 16-core you could argue this is practically an HEDT chip at that point because yeah. it's beating AMD's top 16 core in multi-threading and it has DDR5 and PCIe 5.0 support. Okay then. It has PCIe 5.0. You could you could market this to creators. Like just but just call it 200 watts, dude. C- guy. <laughs> Come on, yeah. Intel. Yeah, this You're right. This is getting close to an HEDT uh, chip anyways, so might as well advertise it like that. Yeah, and and not pretend it's not using that much energy. And, and then just remember that, yeah, this would allow them, which I'm sure they want to, to charge 600 or 700 instead of 500 and justify getting the high-end, like, $300 motherboards, because they probably will be that expensive considering... They have PCIe 5.0 already. And then, you know, what they'll do is with the i7, which is, if I remember my own link correctly, is 8 plus 4. Well, then, yeah, that should be around AMD's 12 core. They can charge 500 or 450 for that i7 and so on and so forth down the product stack. And that i7 will not be as insane power usage. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And, you know, if if the top Alder Lake beats... The 5950X, a six or $700 price point would be perfectly warranted. Yep. And I, I mean, again, that's what I would be going for if I was Intel. But again, just to summarize my thoughts on this story, 
I went and doubled down. It's going to perform as well on average with like air cooling, you know, in a fair in a fair yeah. comparison. Let's be clear, a fair comparison. Because I really, I really was fed up with that. With the uh, Coffee Lake versus Zen Plus and Zen 2 comparisons. You just have this like custom water-cooled freaking i9 versus a stock cooler 2700X or something. And they're <laughs> acting like that's even a remotely fair comparison. That is the one thing I I will say here is this guy says it used the water cooling. Well, what water cooling? What does that mean? <laughs> 5950X doesn't need water cooling, guy. <laughs> so So let's just remember that. With a normal cooler, this is probably around a 5950X. Yeah. Well, the next step then is to put a refrigeration unit on the 5950 well, to compare. <laughs> I mean, AMD should. Which, I, and you know, and I think they will with what I'm told could be called the 5950XT, which will just be, you know, mm-hmm. uh, higher bin Zen 3 with Zen 3D, 20% better. Probably about match this. You know, yeah. AMD is not going to screw around either. So, but, the, but Alder Lake comes out first. This is exciting. Um, which let me say that too. I've seen a lot of people, all these rumors just come out. Uh, enthusiast Alder Lake to launch first and laptop to launch next year. I'm like, you yeah, know, shit. I leaked that two months ago. I, <laughs> what do you think my Alder Lake Raptor Lake leak was? I literally told you when each SKU was coming <laughs> out step by step. And now it's like Igor talks about it and it's news. Ah, Anyways, TickTickler writes in, hey guys, if the rumors are true and Alder Lake is even in the same area code as a 5950X, how much would you attribute to Patrick the Mad Patter Gelsinger? Zero. You didn't have anything to do with this. I mean, this was set in stone years ago, TickTickler. (laughs) Yeah, like, what, that new... They're new recategorizing their nodes and everything. That's That's probably Pat Gelsinger. But, yeah, I don't think... Pat Gelsinger got into the lab and started tinkering around to make all their like work. Nor did he tinker in the lab with really any of these. He makes the bigger decisions. But yeah, what I would say is maybe some of the launch time frame, like launching only the K SKUs first, making the i5 a six plus four instead of a six plus zero. If it's the K model, that type of stuff may have been his decision or influenced by him. But the actual design itself and how well it's performing yeah, I don't think so. Maybe a special edition that he said, if you can push this to beat the 5950X and everything, do it. Maybe something like that. But Alder Lake, this was not, this was done before yeah. him. Um, it's just coming out when he's CEO. Now, which architecture do I think he's going to deserve a lot of credit for? From what I'm hearing, uh, Lunar Lake. Lunar Lake's going to have Pat's uh, yeah. fingerprints all over it. And that's after uh, Raptor Lake, right? Well, directly after. After two- Meteor Lake. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've got a long ways to go before we fully realize the, the power the, uh, of Pat Gelsinger. The power of Pat Gelsinger and Jim Keller, really. Um, Balto yeah. writes him, why doesn't Intel do this? Where only the i3, i5, and maybe i7 have GPUs on them, but the i9 is CPU only. I don't mean like the KF where it's a non-functional disabled GPU. I mean i9s that have only CPU parts on the die so they can make it perform better as just a CPU. For example, if the GPU space was worth four cores, well, then the i9 can have four extra cores. And chances are, if you are buying an i9, you will pair with a discrete GPU anyways that's so powerful it doesn't need to use the integrated graphics. Lastly, I say maybe for i7 is if they do so, they can market as a less expensive i9 or more expensive i5. And 
uh, Falto, the fact is, um, I mean, thanks for writing in, but that's just not how Intel operates. The i9 is just the best yields of the top die, and the top die is integrated graphics. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, they that's how Intel's operated since, I mean, I think before Sandy Bridge, um, probably all the way back to Nehalem. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I... That's how they scale performance, and they use the integrated graphics to accelerate some apps, even when you have a discrete GPU. So that's just how they do it. And if they made a separate die with a couple more cores, eh, no, nah, that's. And if you look at AMD, that's why AMD doesn't have any integrated graphics because the way they built their architectures to scale up cores by yeah. itself. Um, Doctor Deep writes in. Tom, I'm quite surprised by your analysis that Windows 11, unlike previous revisions, serves no purpose. It is very clearly a reimagining from the ground up to support scheduling for big little architectures. Well, first of all, I leaked that months ago before anyone. So I'm well aware of this, Dr. Deep. I will continue your question. I don't see that as a small or insignificant development. Neither do I. Microsoft is also taking advantage of this opportunity to implement mandatory TPM requirements, a move that can reduce malware on the platform by up to 60%. Eh, okay. I doubt they could get the buy-in necessary for this without releasing a new Windows revision. Native support for Android apps with sideloading confirmed is also huge. Finally, Windows is implementing direct storage. Well, they actually were going to put that in 10, dude. Now they're just not. This could arguably have been done in Windows 10. It was planned to be done in Windows 10, so it definitely could have been. Uh... But it's significant either way. I'm not saying I'm going to be taking my free Windows 11 upgrade on day one, but I do look forward to diving into the OS once all bugs are ironed out. Um, it just, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like... I when, when I see an OS update, I think of it, what is this doing for ease of use uh, in an OS and functional standpoint, not these arbitrarily sectioned off parts. Like, there's no reason for them to call this Windows 11... Uh, they they could have just had this be a big update and you can't use the latest updates unless, you know, whatever. They decided to call it Windows 11 to market it and get you to buy a new PC. Yeah, and there's ske decent scheduling upgrades and other new things being added to Windows that make it utilize hardware better, ideally. But there's also the fact that I think almost everything around from like the UI perspective of Windows 11 is kind of worse <laughs> <laughs> than what I saw from well, Windows 10. We haven't tried it yet, but it, we haven't I'm not tried impressed it yet. by what I've seen now. If somebody shows me that, like the direct storage integration and uh, new scheduling, if that like gives me a 15% performance increase in some things, I'm, I'll happily get Windows 11. But I'm just like you said, I'm waiting until Windows 11 reviews are out before I decide to take the free upgrade because. There's nothing that I saw that makes me want to go on Windows 11 day one. Yeah, and let me just remind you guys, the scheduling, though not for big little, of Windows 10 in its current state versus before Zen 1 came out is massively improved. They didn't need Windows 11 to make scheduling better. They don't need Windows 11 for direct storage. It was initially going to be in Windows 10. Most of the things you mentioned could have been added to Windows 10, uh, but they're not. So all uh, at least the way I think of it is these are a bunch of features they were definitely planning to bring to 10 that just now they're not because they want you to upgrade. So yeah. that's why I say it's not significant because... If they wouldn't have just last minute pulled stuff they were already going to give us anyways, it would be completely insignificant. <laughs> I mean, it's just a Windows 10 update, guys. I, I don't know. <laughs> Where you're front and center now, though. But now you, 
are front and center. All right, let us move on to the wrap up. Um, let's see. I was just going order of what's on the list. So hardware unbox tested DLSS. A lot of people did DLSS yeah. and FSR in games that support both. And it was interesting. Tim from hardware unbox conclusion from what I saw largely was that these comparisons are kind of silly though, because they just work differently. And FSR has less of a latency hit and looks better in motion. But in static images, DLSS is slightly superior. Overall, he said, if you have most games that support both, you should probably choose DLSS. But for the most part, the game either supports one or the other still. And in motion, FSR looks better. So it's kind of like DLSS is just for there for people who want to get higher frame rates and high resolutions in single player games. And FSR is there for everyone and better for competitive shooters. I don't know. I just... I just thought I'd, I'd bring this up because there are, just, there are just some websites acting like there's a huge difference and there is a huge difference in how they work. But yeah. overall, the idea that FSR is grossly inferior, there's just really no evidence of that. They both have pros and cons and just DLSS has been out longer. Yeah. And what the, I guess, top line conclusion they have is visual quality is slightly better with DLSS. and When there's not a lot of motion. Yeah. Yeah. That's the most you can say. Yeah. Um, but he said for now, in all the games that have both, if you can use DLSS, he would recommend that over FSR in each game. So okay. worth mentioning that AMD still has work to do. Um, also, another story in uh, deeply uh, analyzed by Igor at Igor's lab, uh, <laughs> that the new world, was it a beta or alpha, I believe, is killing graphics cards, especially GA102 cards. Not good, Tom. And I know... Largely what the hypothesis is, um, they think that bad capacitors might be leading to some of these failures. Yeah, capacitors that are inadequate for the power usage of Ampere. Top Ampere. Again, G104 and lower isn't that inefficient. It's just top Ampere with GDR6X. Should be noted that I I do believe I've heard that this game is causing... A lot failures of things to break. Failures in a lot of cards, but oh yes, yes, yes. Geo one hundred and two. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's affecting AMD cards as well, and it was hilarious how like a- Amazon Game Studios or whatever was like, we do not have any evidence that this can harm your card. Also, we just released an update that caps frame rates and fixes a few things, but it's not because there was a problem. And we just I fixed think, a non-problem. Yeah, and I think EVGA is quickly scrambling to get replacement cards out as fast as possible, so this isn't an issue. Definitely not a problem. There was something there. <laughs> yeah, there is something wrong there. Uh, for a few people, uh, both the New World devs and some of these, as usual, those EVGA cards that cheap out on components all the time. Uh, another uh, story here. Intel officially announces the 38-core 76-thread Ice Lake X workstation CPU for $4,500. That is cheaper than I expected. Um. I thought, I thought it was going to be like 6000 Oh, yeah. I I always lose track of how expensive the workstation CPUs are because they're, it's like, yeah. at a certain point, your brain just goes numb to like, oh, it's $6,000 or $5,000. It's going to be whatever they, who, people that need it are going to pay what they need to to use mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and I, it is interesting how this is priced, though. Above the way above AMD's thirty-two core, but below yeah. AMD's sixty-four core. Uh, so I mean, sounds I, in line with what it is. <laughs> yep, 
you know, and obviously for most people, the Zen 2, whether it's uh, Threadripper or Threadripper Pro are a better choice, but it is worth mentioning, this is a monolithic die with eight-channel memory support. For some workloads, this thing's probably a beast, and it is... Yeah. I just, guys, this is so much better than the 28-core 14 nanometer, I think six-channel chips that Intel was selling against AMD's eight-channel 64-core. <laughs> I just, Intel has yeah. not caught up, but they are significantly making up ground to not be as much of a joke anymore. Yeah, and Alder Lake is probably going to be the first time where they arguably catch catch up, but... They're getting better. Yeah. Um, and then Sapphire Rapids, eh, nah, by then, you know, Bergamo and Genoa, so. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, by the time Sapphire Rapids is out, we're probably of Milan X, so. Yeah, still still going to be rough for Intel, though. The, hey, catching up does not mean caught up. Um, also, the RTX 3050 Ti has been getting some reviews, and it does not look very good. <laughs> I mean, basically, see, this is why critical reviews are so important. Hardware Unboxed review of the 3050 Ti laptops is like, yeah, I know they say they're sub $1,000 laptops, but we can't find any. So basically, the 3050 Ti is showing up in laptops that previously had RTX 2060s, and it's just, it's effectively an RTX 2060 with four gigabytes instead of six using the same amount of energy. Ampere really isn't more efficient than Turing. But it outperforms the 2060 sometimes, Tom. <laughs> yeah, and it also loses to a lot of things other times, like yeah, a 1660. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, six compute units of RDNA 2 and Samsung's Exynos 2200. So that is interesting that it... It still seems semi-rumored. I've always only heard IP, but it sounds like they may directly market RDNA 2 as being in Samsung's uh, smartphone chip. So eh, I think that's notable. Don't really have yeah. anything else to say about that. Uh, DDR5 can allow 768 gigabyte sticks, apparently. Well, I know what I'm doing next to my computer, Tom. <laughs> 1.5 terabytes? Hell yeah. Just two channels. Um, also, Samsung increasing wafer prices. Um, we already mentioned this. I don't know that I have much more to say here, except that this is consistent with what I've heard, that GDR6 prices are going up a ton, and basically everything yeah. else that goes into a graphics card is going up by, like, you know, 20% or more. So, and I really don't see those MSRPs coming down anytime soon. Steam Deck stuff. We already talked about Steam Deck enough. Do the Dead Space remake in here, because I'm excited for that. I don't have anything else I to say. I never actually played it at the time, so... It's really good. It was honestly almost too scary for me at the time. Maybe, uh, I'll probably go back and play Dead Space once the remake's out, though. And then, uh, I guess... So this is interesting. A lot of websites were running. The PS5 now allows you to put in aftermarket M.2s, but from what I'm seeing, it's still in beta testing because they're probably not sure of what speed to require because the speed they're testing is lower than I expected. And I think... I swear I saw somewhere else. I, I'll look it up, and if I find the link, I'll send it to you so you can put it in the notes. But I swore there was a one that was faster than 5,500 megabytes per second that Sony was like actually recommending that's going to be launching soon. 
for like $250 or something. Of course. What I would expect is them to require at least six gigabytes per second, because I believe, I don't even know if I remember anymore, that the stock one is 5.5 gigabytes, but it's a 12-channel controller. So you'd want to yeah. make up for that a little bit by going above that, I would assume, but I don't know. I thought they, well, I think Sony did say that using the 5,500 megabyte per second ones uh, will, you'll, it will be slower than the default storage on the PS5. Which, Which, you know, in Resident Evil 8 might mean three-second load times instead of two-second. But yeah. in Ratchet and Clank, who knows? Yeah, because I swore they said when it initially came out that there was going to be, what, like a 7,000 megabyte per second requirement or something like that. Yeah. Or they, they basically heavily suggested that that's what the requirement will be. Yeah, I don't... I, as of right now, I don't plan on upgrading the SSD. I'm fine oh. with the storage I have. Yeah. And... I don't really want to get one until like a bunch of people have said this is the one you should get. <laughs> so I'm gonna be honest, I'm gonna be a little annoyed if the 5.5 gigabytes per second one works just as well. There's no way it will. Bec- yeah. But if it did, it's like so. You just lie about everything in the SSD. Now you just make. Let's move on. <laughs> I did think it was funny. I uh, there were a couple weeks for some reason before this was announced. There were uh, rumors on Twitter on dipshit Twitter that the mm. SSD was the SSD slot was never going to be enabled on the PS5. Yes, it that was they my, wouldn't put it there. I mean, what are you talking about? That was one of my favorite rumors. Yeah, fanboys come up with some pretty interesting shit. Remember, Dan, also the SSD, uh, it makes the PS5 magic. That's true. That's what the Sony ones will say. Anyways, let us get in to the final reader mails. Bullethead writes him, one thing I want to say after hearing Die Shrink 50 on SteamOS is that stuff like big picture mode isn't necessarily about making PCs more like consoles. It's more about having an interface that scales well and is functional on big screens that are multiple feet away from the user. As someone who watches Twitch streamers who use the same couch setup for PC and console gaming and plays on a 32-inch monitor five feet away from them, one thing that's noticeable is how much worse tech scaling issues are for PC games when you play them in any situation that isn't sitting at a desk with a monitor right in front of you. Steam's default interface definitely scales okay and is information-dense, but there's plenty of room for a more TV distance-optimized UI. Eh. Yeah, I suppose. I, I don't have anything to add to that. I've seen this too on consoles where they've like ported a PC game to the, I've never played them, but I've heard of some games that were ported from PC to console where they didn't do anything for the scaling. Yeah, I've heard that. And then it's like, you just can't even read it. I think that was especially a problem a few generations ago. I I, I can't remember exactly what, but I I know a a few like things I've heard on like sacred symbols and (laughs) complaining about the tech scaling on console ports. Yeah, like for like RTSs that were for some reason ported to like the 360 and stuff. Yeah. And then they just, yeah, it doesn't work, so, oh well. Whatever. But, uh, yeah. Uh, Zunyan writes in, Hey, Tom, I guess it is a question in two parts. Since companies are adamant about pushing game streaming, what is your opinion on incentives it gives to developers for focusing on particular types of games that ever gains popularity? Twitch shooters are obviously not viable to stream and retain competitiveness, but something like turn action RPGs and tactical games or 200 milliseconds of latency is a non-issue seems to be a fairly good candidate. Um, I mean, are any of those... Turn-based games hard to run though. Why do I need to stream it? Why can't I just run it on an APU? Unless, like, because it does get to a question of, like, okay, so I'm going to stream this on my TV or directly Mm -hmm. from onto my TV or something, 
At a certain point, would it just be cheaper to put like an eight compute unit, uh, <laughs> like an eight compute unit, yeah. like four core eight, th like a Steam Deck, <laughs> yeah, into a TV? Yeah, it already right? costs two thousand dollars. Yeah, well, what's fifty more dollars, or however the hell much that CPU or APU costs plus RAM? Yeah, that's true. But <laughs> it, it, you do just wonder at some point will TVs just start doing that in lieu of streaming uh, for games? Uh, I think quite possibly. I don't think a TV would, but. Or I don't Why think not? a TV will in the next couple of years, but I don't I literally did just think of that off the top of my head, so maybe they will. <laughs> well, you know, that's the argument I keep making about this streaming games future. I think that streaming games is not about moving everyone to some Netflix system. It's about expanding who plays games. So like you said, maybe they just put eight gigabytes of RAM and something weaker than a Steam Deck in there, but that can play half of the games on Steam. And then you just have Steam TV as an app that you can launch in your Steam library. The games that work are ported in your saves transfer. I could easily see that happening, but that's for people that weren't going to build a gaming PC anyways. For anyone that wants a hardcore experience, there will always be the $300 or $400 box that I yeah. think will run games locally better looking than any streaming in 1080p60. 1080p60 is very easy to run now. You can make consoles that are better than that for 300 bucks. So uh, that's just my consistent argument against this streaming future is anytime gigabit internet gets better, there's still the latency. And by the time you've gotten internet better, guess what? The box yeah. is now better too, that costs $300. Um, but his other thing is, those are not extremely popular, but generally favor long play sessions, which is, I suppose, a plus from company perspective. Key concern is that they generally require high resolution. So what is your opinion on the push for higher bandwidth availability from streaming platforms on infrastructure providers? I'm mostly thinking about U.S. Can Sony and Microsoft leverage the likes of Comcast? I would just say they're probably going to focus on 1080p for now. Yeah, I just don't see where streaming goes. Like, because at a certain point, like, if you want to reduce latency, they're just going to be putting data centers everywhere to run the streaming. So yeah, I, I guess old games and 1080p is where I think streaming works right now. Mm -hmm. and, and there'll be 4K options, but I just, they can barely get 720p streaming to not have problems. So I would say, yeah. and again, I think it's about expanding who plays games not making AAA gamers all throw up their hands at once and go, I'm now okay with latency, because I just don't see that happening. And so I think most of the people not gaming already are probably okay with 1080p. So I think they'll just focus on that. Yeah. And there again, there'll be 4K options, but it's going to be like very much so almost like a beta <laughs> option. Like, are you sure it works? You know, are you sure you're in new, like a, a neighborhood in New York that can do this well? Like not even every neighborhood. That, that's how yeah. I see it. Uh, Brett Summers writes him, hey, Tom and Dan slash guest. Well, it's Dan. Just subscribed. Yeah. Longtime listener here. Well, thank you for supporting us. I figured I'd throw my support in for you guys. Great content. But I do have a question. Do you see Intel ever becoming a serious contender with custom designs for things such as consoles? AMD pulls this off wonderfully. It has been for a long time with DG2, DG3, and whatever comes after uh, DG3. Uh, do you think this could happen ever? Will they ever get on the same cohesive level that AMD is with CPU plus GPU designs? Um, I don't know that they look at it the exact same way, but I would say uh, they could. And, you know, uh, Intel was in the original Xbox. Yeah, I mean, I would say never say never. I don't, it seems like both X, Microsoft and Sony are pretty happy with their relationship with AMD right now. So 
I would bet that goes forward into whatever console they both make next. But and we can already pretty much guess that mm-hmm. Nvidia is going to be in the next Switch. And I and I can promise you guys that the pro versions of these consoles are AMD. So that yeah. means all AMD for Xbox and PlayStation, at least home consoles. Who knows if there's going to be a handheld PlayStation or probably not. But you know, at least until like 2026. And so that means. Do I see Intel making a console in 2026? Maybe, but I don't think they're going to be like, you know, AMD is still the better choice for Sony and Microsoft for the PS4 and Xbox One. And that's when their CPUs were not so great. So I, I, I would say at least, yeah, I think I agree. I think for whatever the next Xbox is in the PS6, you're looking at AMD again. Yeah. Fire Squatch writes in, Hi, Tom and Dan. What are your thoughts on the new ban in six states over high-power PCs? Looks like anything over 650 watts is banned. It seems like it doesn't matter how much power your PC uses until it does. Love the content. Keep up the good work. Uh, did you look into this at all, Dan? Yee. Uh, I think he's he's overblowing the severity of the issue. So what, what what's going on? So... A bunch of news sites misreported on what the con uh, on what this was. Surprise! It's essentially, if you actually read the d- uh, details of it, and the whatever efficiency commission. I th- oh, I think it's the California Efficiency Commission or whatever mm-hmm. the CEC uh, clarified that they are looking to limit power usage when uh, PCs are idle. So the new oh. limitation. The new limitations are targeting using no more than 75 kilowatt hours per year while idling. And that's the big new regulation. Oh, so it it blew up by a lot of people that like their limit that they're banning high power PCs because Dell cancel or isn't shipping a bunch of their Alienware products to the six states that uh, have similar regulations anymore. And the conclusion I came to is that Dell just puts shitty power supplies <laughs> in their Alienware desktops. Which, yeah. And I'm goading someone, if I'm wrong, to tell me why I'm wrong. Yeah, and we have a corrections and omissions channel, uh, you know, so so submit that reader mail. And uh, then we'll correct it. But yeah, I don't, that's not happening. They're not banning. They're not going to ban. 650 watt PCs. There's no way. Which, like, if you look at it on its face, like a 70 watt kilo, 75 kilowatt hour limit per year, which is what I think some people were running with, that would be like, oh, you can game for like two weeks a year. <laughs> that would be bad. But this is for specifically power usage when PCs are idling. And that'd be almost unenforceable mode. too, by the way. Yeah, you're not going. It's not like if you go to Newegg tomorrow and you live in California, if you try to buy a 3090 and a 5900X, they're going to say, hey, you can't buy those together. <laughs> yeah. I, and there's like no way to tell if it's one PC or multiple or a refrigerator and a small yeah. PC or a big refrigerator. Like, like, there's no way for them to tell. Wait, no. So. And, and I, I looked into like actually trying to calculate, do the calculations that the new regulations have. A little bit, and it's like, oh, they. <laughs> this is impossible to do the math on. So good, good job, California. Yeah, and this is one of those things where you just see a bunch of people, a bunch of websites looking for clicks on a slow news day. Frankly, yeah. Um, Yoda King writes in, "Hi, T Bone and D Dog. 
Linus recently made a video about a modular and upgradable laptop by the company Frameworks. This looks extremely interesting to me. Do you think some of this product's innovations can trickle down to OEM laptops? And do you think this design philosophy can be applied to gaming laptops? I mean, anytime you say can, the answer is yes. Well, the answer almost always, in my opinion, is no. But I think a, a problem- Did you look at this at all, the framework or whatever? Um, I didn't look into it too much. I saw the Linus. I, I saw that Linus had a video on mm-hmm. a modular laptop, but I wasn't able to watch it. But I was just going to say, I think DIY people have a tendency to look at a product that they think looks cool and then project it as a product that everyone would want. When in reality, mm-hmm. it's just a product that uh, a few people would want. So, I mean, that's might be perfect for like a smaller company to just make this weird little laptop, but I doubt Dell's going to start making modular laptops. Yeah. And I'm looking at it. It looks like it's trying to get high serviceability scores, but this still looks much harder to work in than a bigger desktop where you can slap a graphics card into a PCIe slot quickly. So how many people would actually want to bother with this? A lot of us enthusiasts, I'm sure, but I don't think as many people as you would think. And I think most people would continue to trade modularity and upgradability for making it 20% smaller and have a bigger battery. And probably cheaper. And cheaper too, yeah. I'm probably never going to get a modular laptop just because, while it seems cool on paper, I don't see myself ever needing that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I can't see myself really doing that. If it if they could make one the exact same size as my HP Studio laptop and have like a slot to upgrade the screen that was really easy to swap out from like a 4K to, well, to what though? An 8K screen eventually? I'm fine with the screen it has. <laughs> um, and, you know, switch out the graphics card. But it's like, yeah, but a lot of these APUs don't support like 16 lanes of PCIe 4.0. So what am I upgrading to in the future? It might be bottlenecked. It might require yeah. Rembrandt or Alder Lake or a Raptor Lake APU to even be used properly. So, yeah, I just don't think so. I don't think it's happening. I think we've seen Dell and other companies try to do things like MXM graphics cards and stuff, and they've never really worked in a mass, yeah. in a successful way. They just haven't. Like, And we just need to accept that. That if, if they've tried that many times and it hasn't worked, it's not because it... It's it's because people don't want it, man. Like they keep trying and no one's buying it. So it's just not a priority for anyone, it seems. Yeah. Ben Cannon writes in, what acquisition are you more worried about being negative for the tech industry? Intel Global Foundry or NVIDIA ARM? Obviously the Intel one is much newer and hasn't had other tech company chips in. So that is a more of an unknown. So who am I? What what's the concern? If I'm in the United Kingdom, Nvidia Arm, because the Arm is like a freaking at this point, Arm is a, a national security issue for the UK. That's their only chip company, right? Yeah. If they lose that to an American company, it's like, well, there that goes. Um, so that that if I was the in the UK, the United Kingdom's government, I would say that one. <laughs> um, in terms of Intel Global Foundries, I don't know. I've heard different opinions. I'd prefer if Global Foundries was its own big IDM that caught up to Samsung. But I've heard some opinions uh, that are like, well, if Intel gets Global Foundries, 
You know, don't forget that TSMC is close to being a monopoly. Intel buying global foundries may allow them to better compete directly with TSMC and build products for other people, which they're not very good at doing. Really, Intel's only good at building stuff for themselves and getting to nodes late every single time for the past 20 years. You can't do that if you have customers. Like Intel can't like be telling Jensen, oh sure, you can make, you know, hopper on our node. Oh, sorry, it's two years late. That doesn't yeah. work. I guess my def I find the NVIDIA ARM acquisition more worrisome overall than Global Foundries, but I generally don't like corporate consolidation, so I'm not a huge fan of either. But seems like Intel acquiring Global Foundry is taking less off of the table than uh, NVIDIA acquiring ARM. I it's think hard. so. It, it's hard to say. I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'd say they're pretty much equal um, with the, I just feel like NVIDIA is going to end up doing more slimy stuff. And I know some people will go, <laughs> how can you say that with Intel's history? It's like, well, it's so much of that feels like Intel's history to me. Whereas it feels like, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I would say, I don't, I would say neither. I'd say about equal. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just rambling here. I, I, I'd say equal, uh, equal concern. Yeah. Wurtactus writes in, I just recently subscribed to the Patreon after freeloading for a while on YouTube. My question is, if people who really like the content are not watching on YouTube anymore, then will YouTube stop recommending your content to future prospects? Are we selectively breeding ourselves out? Really enjoying the back catalog of Die Shrinks, by the way. Thanks. Yes, and thanks for that reminder. Again, there's dozens of Die Shrinks and other exclusive content like Hits and Gems, Flyover States, ad-free versions of loose ends that are there if you join our Patreon, depending on the tier. But are you breeding yourselves out? Uh, I think there's a certain amount of that. You know, as the Patreon gets into the thousands, uh, there is a certain concern that there's less people clicking instantly on the YouTube or That's the true, RSS feed links. But no, I don't think you're, you're, you're breeding yourselves out. I think YouTube's recommendation system is weird too. Like to the point where even if you have the bell button wrong and subscribed sometimes it doesn't recommend things i've found that it usually does for me actually but uh some people uh, i know some people have proven it doesn't to them sometimes so i don't know i would say that you know it, it should still be recommended to you generally speaking on youtube and i don't yeah. think it's breed I, I don't think so no and youtube's getting better kind of <laughs> it's, it's hard <laughs> YouTube's to say always. always attempting to get better whether that means they are is a different question yeah, or if they'll make some crazy backstep out of nowhere, that we can be sure they'll probably do that. All right, Dan. Well, that's the last reader mail. That's the entire episode. Was there uh, anything else you saw in the gaming news or anything else you wanted to discuss? No, I don't think so. Well, I thank you for joining me early. Just so people know, I took a red eye, red eye back. <laughs> from Portland. And then I've got to meet up with someone to get my dog later. So I we actually recorded extra early. So if there was some rambling and jumbled talking, it's because I got three hours of sleep, a bad sleep on an airplane. So I apologize. And Dan was forced to get up earlier than usual. Yeah. And airplane sleep isn't the best sleep. So no, it's not very good sleep at the, all. Kind of the worst sleep. But you know what? I'm looking forward to tonight because I know I know I'm going to crash. It's going to yeah. be sick. 
<laughs> get some real good sleep there. Um, so yeah, I mean, thanks for listening. Um, remember to subscribe to the Morris Law Said YouTube channels. Remember to subscribe to Broken Silicon on your preferred podcast app. Those automatic downloads really do help us, especially long-term as we try to build this out to being a highly recognized RSS feed podcast, which is getting there. That could get us even more support from either a network or something. So look out for that. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, consider supporting us on Patreon. I've already brought it up a few times. I mean, you can submit reader mails, submit questions to guests, um, and you get a ton of exclusive content without ads in it. Um, you know, it's like two bucks, two bucks a month. Do it. Come on. Do it. Do it. Just do it. Come on. Um, and also, I will be at the, uh, what is this here? Carolina Game Summit in a week after this comes out, actually less than a week, you know, a few days after this comes out to the public. And uh, I actually should be on a Sacred Symbols Plus pretty soon, if anyone listens to that, so look out for that in the coming month. But uh, that's about all there is to say, Dan. I think we did it. We did it. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcasts, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it, and so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Telos, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn and Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Akawari, Frederick Lau, James Crasset, Justin Pears, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Jada Full, Phil S, D31337 Antics, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Deseru, Daniel Hyde, A Guy in PA81, Nathan Mose, 
Cole Addict, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Swan Garcia, Sean Vollmer, My Name Is Nobody, Judson N. Alethros, Jensen Wang, Hey There's a Kitty, J.T. Wanchek, Ivan214, John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Chris Licata, Michael McGee, Ali Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan... Patrick Groh, Evan Diggle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Dick Dickler, Joachim Hagen, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Acosta, Andrew S. Blake, Aaron Keith, Gregory S. Acker, Endless Loggins, Tom San Filippo, Justice Brennan, Zutsu Taylor, Trevor Powers, Stu Alenia, Nanya, Daniel Nishbal, Franco Frederick, Dan Galinowski, Alex Carastillo, Dark Rain 2049, Layton Perry, Joseph Caraman, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, Danovin Russell, Zabra Zibur, Zicky, Martin Porcheggi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Hulam, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canos Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, DeHuhu, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Eddie Del Castillo, Joseph Loria, Loris Correa, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Raul Abeneni, Tim Robbins, Jake223, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Caillou, Mark Kelly, Dave McCoy, Valco Malev, Gabe Langner, Ronnie, Morton Svensson, Michael Deaton, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Scott Ref Schneider, Mai Sharona, Y Truly, Roman, William W. Draper, Air Rats, Wakir Khan, Henry Zhang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, SS, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sami Malas, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Nick Raken, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, R.P. Sharma, Mead and Port, Jimmy N.G., Mads Beachhorn, Benjamin Oshley, C. Jitz, Shield TV, Couteau, Dame P., John Wissink, Sam Fensel, Mark Mitchell, Brucha, Jeremy So, James Anderson, Jesse Jess Kowiak, Ian Clifford, Tyler Lindley, MJB1, Amiable Chief, Mitchell Pell, Gordon Freeman, Granadin, Aaron, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.